Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. everyone this is the other side of midnight i'm frank moreno you know donald trump when he ran for president in 2016 he used the phrase and it had been used by other presidential candidates before reagan had used it bill clinton had used it he used the term make america great again and i think it really resonated with people because it really played on people's sense of nostalgia it played on an image uh, that people had in their brain maybe of an america that never was but an america of yesterday that was better than the america today and trump was very clear as reagan and clinton were before him that if you voted for him that that could be brought back. Now, my entire life being on the radio, my mantra to myself, and I might have said it out loud a couple of times, my mantra to myself and to whomever would listen has been to make radio fun again. Because when I grew up listening to talk radio, it was fun. And then slowly but surely it drifted into something else. It drifted into something that was angry, not for humor's sake or for fun's sake. It was angry for uh, anger's sake. It became something that was homogenized, that was all the same, that was not local, that was uh, all one-sided, that was all political, that in a word, combine all those factors, was boring. So I, since I've been involved in radio, have always tried to do a little bit different than what everybody else was doing, namely doing a lot of stuff that is non-political. Now, when I got the opportunity to do this show and management and John Katzmatidi said to me, we want you to do a show that is wild and outlandish and focuses on conspiracy theories and aliens and all sorts of wacky stuff. I jumped at the opportunity because it was a culmination of two things that I've always sought to do. One, talk about things other than politics. And two, um, kind of see if it, it was a personal challenge to me to see if I could do it. That being said, I have spent the bulk of my life not just my adult life, because this was back to when I was a teenager, in the electoral political arena, namely in New York State. So even though my general philosophy has tended towards shying away from excessive discussion of politics on the radio, when there's a day like today and you see New York having its primary election for governor, both parties, and for lieutenant governor, for the Democrats, and for state assembly, and now we know the general election matchup, I really can't avoid the temptation to spend a great deal of time talking about it. So I am offering you fair warning. I am offering you a disclaimer. If you are someone that has no interest in discussion of electoral politics, 
this may not be the show for you. We are going to get into some other subjects. We'll talk about entertainment. We'll talk about cultural issues. We'll talk about entertainment and uh, cultural issues and the, the areas where they intersect with one another. However, we're going to spend a great deal of time breaking down the implications of yesterday's primary election and everything that else that's happening on a national level and on a local level. And we're going to be joined by the best political team on radio. Obi Murray, distinguished political consultant who's worked with Republicans and Democrats. He's going to be here. He's going to join us twice, once this hour and then once as part of a panel in the 3 o'clock hour. Dr. Frank Sorrentino, who's one of the finest political scientists in America, distinguished political science professor and author, he's going to be here. My friend Andrew McKenna, former federal prosecutor turned federal prisoner who served with me on the executive committee of the Reform Party and on the state committee of the SAM Party. He's going to join us to talk about the political implications behind what some of the Supreme Court decisions might portend. And if there's time, we'll get into the uh, January 6th uh, committee yesterday, which uh, looks like it had some blockbuster ramifications. But if you have been asleep for the last five hours and you are relying on this show to know what happened in yesterday's election, I think the best way to sum it up is the way Stewie Griffin did when he performed at Woodstock. Uh, excuse me, it's been brought to my attention that a few bad apples out there are smoking marijuana. Uh, I've got news for you, my friend. Marijuana's illegal, not cool. All right, then. Establishment, establishment, you always know what's best. You suck! Learn the rules! (laughs) That, in a nutshell, my friends, is what happened yesterday. The establishment strikes back. These last few years, we have seen a movement towards anti-establishment populism in both parties. I think the great and and internationally, not just in America, not just in New York State, but this has gone on around the world. I think the best personification of that on the Republican side, at least in America, has been Donald Trump. But there have been a lot of other instances where that has happened. Uh, Dave Bratt beating Eric Cantor in Virginia, for instance. Carl Palladino beating Rick Lazio in uh, in New York State. Uh, Christine O'Donnell winning a primary in uh, for U.S. Senate in Delaware. Um, On the left, I think the high watermark has probably been Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez defeating one of the most prominent and most powerful members of Congress in uh, New York State and maybe even the whole country, the uh, Joe Crowley. But you saw that with the incredible momentum that Bernie Sanders had with the primaries as well. Forget about all that. Yesterday showed us that the establishment still has a few tricks up their sleeve. Kathy Hochul winning overwhelmingly against her two opponents, one running to her left, Jamani Williams, one running to her right, uh, Tom Swazi, and uh, Lee Zeldin winning fairly handily against uh, his three opponents with his nearest competitor, Andrew Giuliani, not able to overcome the incredible uh, turnout that Lee Zeldin was able to put together out on Long Island. And uh, I am eager to see, and if you're a Giuliani supporter or an Astorino supporter or a Wilson supporter, I am curious. There w- this was a very bitter Republican primary. And you have about 65% or so of the Republican electorate that voted for someone other than Lee Zeldin. If you backed Giuliani or Astorino or Wilson, are you ready to rally behind Lee Zeldin now? Because it got very heated. You saw what uh, Harry Wilson 
text message Lee Zeldin, and that's a name that I've heard Harry Wilson call Lee Zeldin before. You saw the sparks fly among all the candidates in the debate stage with Lee Zeldin calling Wilson a never-Trumper, with Lee Zeldin calling um, uh, Rob Astorino Rolex Rob, with uh, Zeldin accusing Andrew Giuliani of feeling entitled, with all three Republicans calling Zeldin Andrew Cuomo's favorite Republican and accusing Zeldin of voting with AOC to defund the police and things of that nature. I am curious if you're ready to kiss and make up, if beating Hochul is so important to you, if that's even possible at this juncture, because I think it's going to be a tough road to hoe, especially considering that abortion rights is now a state's issue and the Republican nominee is a longtime pro-life conservative Republican. I don't know how that's going to fly in a state as blue as New York. But you know what really struck me? I was listening to Mayor Giuliani's show right here on 77 WABC and his characterization of the three opponents that his son was running against was pretty interesting. Listen to this, and if you were a Giuliani supporter or an Astorino supporter or a Wilson supporter, I want you to tell me if, in light of what Rudy said here, you're ready to kiss and make up to rally behind the Zeldin banner. 800-848-WABC. This was Mayor Giuliani yesterday here on WABC. God bless you, Andrew. You ran a great race. God bless race. you. God bless you. Get out there and vote and, for and you and you had a couple of very honorable opponents. I will tell you that, and you had one liar. Okay, that's me. Well, I'm saying that. Okay. Well, let's go win today. Let's <laughs> okay. Go win. All right. And I mean that. He had two very honorable opponents who I have great respect for, and he had one guy that is a massive liar. Right, right, right. I mean, like embarrassing liar. It's one thing to lie. It's another thing to lie, and then I can put up a videotape right next to it showing you're lying. A massive liar and an embarrassing liar. Now, that's not saying we disagree, we don't view the world the same way. Calling someone a massive liar and an embarrassing liar, is that someone you could still then rally behind and vote for? I'm curious where the Republicans come come down on this. And same token, if you were a Democrat, and you were for Swazi or you were for Jamani Williams, are you ready to kiss and make up and support Hochul so that the Democrats can retain a hold on the governor's mansion? 800-848-WABC. Here's a little bit of Governor Hochul. Uh, this is the first uh, statewide primary she's won for governor. She did win a very competitive primary for lieutenant governor four years ago, her opponent in that race, Jumani Williams. And just to show you how well, I'm going to get into this with O.B. Murray in about 15 minutes, just to show you how well she was able to play politics inside the arena of the Democratic Party. Four years ago, Jumani Williams beat her in New York City. Brooklyn, for instance, which controls a lot of votes in New York City. Jumani Williams beat Kathy Hochul four years ago by... About 24 points, 24 points in Brooklyn alone. This year, Hochul destroyed Jamani Williams by 26 points in Brooklyn. That's how much she was been, has been able to grow her popularity within the Democratic primary. And this is someone who I think a lot of folks thought was going to have a much tougher time. Winning her primary. Folks were saying, oh, it's going to be Letitia James that runs against her. It's going to be Andrew Cuomo that runs against her. It's going to be somebody else. She sailed through all this. We'll get into why with O.B. Murray. And if you have 
uh, thoughts on that, you're welcome to call in. This is Governor Hochul uh, in her remarks yesterday. It has been the highest honor of my life to serve as your governor for the past 10 months. And what a 10 months it's been. Right from the start, our kids were heading back to school as you're seeing an increase, a surge in Delta. And on top of it, hurricanes immediately struck and people lost their lives and their homes. And the cost of living kept going up and up and up. Workers, small businesses and families were dealing with excruciating stress and financial challenges. And the crime and violence that has taken so many lives. And most shockingly, my own hometown of Buffalo, New York, we lost some of my neighbors. It's hard to still comprehend that. As well as the day-to-day -day victims of gun violence in our streets and cities all across this state. But yet we faced all those challenges. We faced all those challenges. And you know what? We persevered and we prevailed. You know why? You know why? Because we're New Yorkers and we get things done. That's what New Yorkers do. And we got from Lee Zeldin an idea of what his messaging for the campaign is going to be going forward. He was very clear in defining where the next four months are going. As our state's next lieutenant governor says, this isn't just a red wave. This is a, this is a common sense wave. It's a common sense wave that reaches out to everybody across this state, in all counties, in all regions. We're reaching out to all of you to work with us to save New York. This is a rescue mission to save our state, and losing is not an option. There's only one option on November 8th, and that is to win this race, to fire Kathy Hochul, to end one-party rule. So where do you see it? 800-848-9222. We'll hear from some of the experts uh, throughout the night, and uh, we may even get a few surprise calls uh, from uh, from some of the people that were victorious in yesterday's election. Oh, the last thing I'll mention is, I was talking about how this was such a big win for the establishment. Not only did Hochul, the establishment Democrat for governor, win, not only did Zeldin, the establishment uh, Republican for governor, win, but Antonio Delgado, the establishment lieutenant governor for the Democrats, he won. And, you know, you saw AOC and the DSA and the WFP and everybody with letters. They ran a whole slate of insurgent Democratic primary opponents against the incumbent state assembly members. As it stands now, some of these results could change with absentee ballots, but as it stands now, AOC slash WFP slash DSA lost every single one of these races. The establishment won every single one of these primary races. So who knows? Perhaps American populism was just a blip on the radar screen. 800-848-WABC. I must say I'm a little disappointed. I thought uh, I liked Tom Swazi's messaging a great deal. He was basically where I was on a lot of the issues. Had I been a Democrat, I would have voted for him. And I'm surprised that he um, wasn't able to garner 
more momentum on the crime issue. Uh, we saw Eric Adams ride that crime issue in the Democratic primary uh, last year in the mayor's race. I had thought that Swazi would get a little more traction on the crime issue uh, these days. And for somebody that was supported by Fernando Ferrer, for somebody that chose a Hispanic running mate before the other two did, I thought he would have been a little bit more embraced by the Hispanic community. Uh, and Hochul, to me, and I've used the term before, and I don't mean to sound sexist in using it, to me, Kathy Hochul is a cheap skirt. She is somebody that believes in nothing, but someone who has had no problem changing her positions on everything, someone who had no problem sitting there clapping like a seal while one of the worst governors in my lifetime, somebody that was not only corrupt, but um, was really harmful to voters on every single issue, as far as I'm concerned. Well, she sat there and said nothing as his lieutenant governor, and now she acts like she never even met this guy. And then on the Republican side, you know, Lee Zeldin's a nice guy, and I think he's done some interesting things in Congress. But, uh, you know, Andrew Giuliani is a personal friend, and I was really impressed with a lot of the things that he did in this campaign. I was hoping that he would have been able to mount a victory. And, look, Harry Wilson, as a pro-choice Republican, I think he was probably in the best position to actually win in the general election. I think it's going to be very challenging for somebody like Zeldin to do that. But who knows? Maybe I'll be wrong. If Hochul uh, gets caught in some sort of a scandal and if Zeldin does everything right and if he has luck on his side, maybe maybe things will be different. But uh, I am a little disappointed. Curious how you're you're reacting to the results. Democrat, Republican, governor, lieutenant governor, state assembly and what you think of the general election going forward. 800-848-WABC. I've uh, yammered on enough. I used the word yammered yesterday. I'm not even certain if that's a word. Uh, but now that I've used it two days in a row, we're going to research if that is a word. If it's not a word, we're going to see if we can't uh, get it used enough in the public lexicon to make sure that it becomes a word one day, uh, much like orbiscalate. Chris is in the Catskills. Hello, Chris. Hey, how are you, sir? You missed one. There is. Uh, Sarah Hanna-Shresha is up on Kevin Cahill by 527 votes. She was heavily supported by some dirty mailers with the Working Families Party. She got endorsed by AOC. Uh, 15 seconds of fame. I tried to uh, promote Kevin Cahill yeah, a couple I, times. I, I, on looked, your I looked at that race. I do think that race is likely to change once all the uh, absentee ballots are counted. I've heard they count the absentee ballots as they go along now. Is that true? That's that, what somebody told yeah, me. Yeah, this is the first primary where that's the case. I'm not sure if that's included in the totals that we're seeing uh, so far. So uh, maybe that'll no, be the I, one they win. I handed in some absentee ballots because, you know, I, I – got some that I collect and I handed in some and I know who the people voted for and I went and made a photocopy and had them stamped in and I went and gave it to Kevin Cahill's campaign manager. I mean, Sarah Hanna, if she pulls this out, she knocked on like 15,000 doors herself, personally. No exaggeration. They had members of her uh, canvassers, her volunteers, had tables set up in my town and the other towns around Ulster and Dutchess County across the street from every polling place, and they sat there for nine hours doing rotation shifts, holding her signs in the air. I mean, it was crazy. But I can tell you, at the debate, I was in the audience. Kevin Cahill mopped up the floor with her. The problem Kevin Cahill has 
not too many people like him. I don't. I really. I don't care for the guy myself either. But it, it, he, he. That that was one of his problems. Is that a lot of people? He's not a warm and fuzzy guy, and he's been in there for a while. But this woman has no platform. I know I send you a lot of content, Frank. I always send you stuff that's good on the text. I sent you some stuff on her. There was an article on her in the Nation that just came out a few days ago. Uh, I sent you the poll numbers. Uh, so, Chris, I, mean, I, I just want to look I, it over. I will. I will try and look as, to as much as that. You do send me quite a bit. I can't look at everything. I want to try and get to some other people here because a lot of folks are waiting to comment on the uh, on the race and how it shapes up for the general election. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Andrew is on Staten Island, uh, where Andrew Giuliani was yesterday. Hello, Andrew. Frank, good morning. Uh, June of nineteen, lowlife Cuomo banned medical and religious exemptions in New York State, New York City, all throughout the state. Andrew Giuliani swore up and down that he would bring back those religious and medical exemptions. I voted for him. I couldn't where I got there at six thirty in the morning in my local school. Look, you know, he should have won. I'm gonna back Zeldin. I don't whatever he did with Cuomo was in the past. You know, I don't want to know it. The guy is a conservative. There's no question about it. Giuliani, I think, would have been the more uh, conservative candidate, quite frankly. And now, you know, is, is Eldon, if he wins, is he going to step up to the plate and let my kids go back into the, you know, into the public school system? Time will tell. That that they will, Andrew. Thank you. Yeah, personally, you know, I've never bought into this attack on Zeldin that he was Cuomo's favorite Republican. Like, you could say that if Zeldin voted like a liberal Democrat in Congress and in Albany. The bottom line is he didn't. He voted like an establishment Republican when he was in the state Senate and mostly like an establishment Republican when he was in Congress. I think his problem is not going to be proving to people that he's conservative. I think his problem is going to be showing that he's somebody that Democrats and independents can be comfortable voting for. I think that's his challenge. 800-848-9222. But look, let me be very clear. My predictions are almost always wrong. Most of the people that I support for every office lose. And uh, the candidates that I would have wanted to win lost both elections. So nobody should listen to me on any of this as far as analysis goes. Marianne is in Queens. Hello, Marianne. Hi, um, Frank. I am so disappointed. Let me tell you why I am so disappointed, Frank. Uh, the establishment, like you say, is winning. Uh, so, like you mentioned, where are the people that are the populist? It's not that anyone that you support lose. The, the ones that lose is the country because they don't want to see. For example, the Democrat Party continues getting together the group of people, and they have tribes. They have Antifa, Black Lives Matter, Spanish immigrants, Chinese, Jews, Muslims, you name it. They made a tribe of all these people, and we are not counting about a Me Too movement and abortion. But the Republican Party continue being by themselves. They don't even reach to other parties like Libertarians or Independents to try to form a block. They don't understand that this is politics. We don't have enough. Republicans in New York. Well, uh, Marion, you're so right about that. Marion, you're so right about that. And thank you for calling. Um, I wrote an article uh, for Cranes about four years ago after the Republicans had lost everything. 
after they'd lost the mayor's race and the county executive races on Long Island, and now they've gained one on, on Nassau and in Westchester, and they lost the state Senate, and they lost all the statewide offices. I said, what do the Republicans, what are they still clinging to? What the Republicans should do is show that they're a big tent party and that they're the party that maybe, okay, you you don't have to agree with us on everything. You just have to agree with us on the big key issues. It costs too much to live here. Taxes are too long, too high, and crime is out of control. And the way to do that is by saying to unaffiliated voters, you're welcome to participate in our primaries. And I was rebuffed every every step of the way. That 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 suggestion, I wrote it in op-ed for Cranes, New York, that went over like a lead balloon. And I think if they were to uh, show that they wanted independents to contribute not only in the primaries, but in a meaningful way towards a policy agenda, I think you might see um, them in the process of building a, a bigger tent that could be competitive the way the Republicans were in the uh, early to mid-90s in this state. Lenny's in Beth Page. Hello, Lenny. Hey, Frank, I'm just looking at these candidates. Astorino, he's lost several races, had no business trying to run. Then you look at Wilson, 10 years ago, made a little headway, but then he backed Bragg, so he had no business really winning. And Giuliani, which, you know, ran on his father's name, which was great. I don't know what he's ever done, but Zeldin is the candidate who had the conservative line. So I don't understand why this was a problem. Well, and well first of all, one. just to, by point of information, with Zeldin on the conservative line and these two other lines that he created, because Zeldin's an attorney, it would have been no problem for him to get off those lines had he won the, had he lost the Republican primary. Uh, he would have just had to take a nomination with, for state Supreme Court. That happens all the time. That happened with uh, Rick Lazio in 2010. But he had the conservative line. Giuliani, who was as close and competitive, what did he do? What has he done besides his father's name? Yeah, uh, that was exactly the attack on him uh, that a lot of his opponents leveled. And look, clearly a lot of Republican voters, um, you know, saw it that way. I think uh, the fact that Giuliani served in the Trump administration counted for something. I think the fact that he was so vocal and articulate on the crime issue counted for something. Uh, The fact that he was so vocal on the, you know, I'll call it the vaccine freedom issue, which is a big issue for a lot of people. I think that counted for something. But clearly, you're right, Lenny. The the voters voted with you. So um, you um, you're right. There's nothing I could say. Uh, Obi Murray is here. He's going to join us in a couple of minutes. He's somebody that actually knows what he's talking about. Unlike someone like me that pretends to know what they're talking about. Jacqueline's in Brooklyn. Hello, Jacqueline. Good morning, Frank. Um, I'm very disappointed also. I did vote for Andrew, and uh, I think this just is an example. You know, people say, well, anyone who wants to run should run. But if Wilson, and I hate to say this about Astorino, I didn't think he really had much of a chance. If they would have stepped aside, I think Andrew would have cleaned up the floor with Zeldin. And I think it doesn't matter that Andrew didn't have any political experience. We saw President Donald Trump being one of the greatest presidents in recent history, having no political experience. Well, and And Jacqueline, and I'll just add, you know, we've seen uh, both in presidential races and statewide races. Look, the election's over. Andrew's not going to be the candidate, so I'm not going to spend the next four months saying, uh, you know, how great Andrew is. But um, to your point, 
We've seen it actually be a benefit if you don't have much of a voting record in public life. When John McCain ran, when John Kerry ran, when Hillary Clinton ran, when Bob Dole ran, their their opponents in both the primary and the general were able to hang their voting record around them like a, a, like an albatross. But the the candidates that did really well were the candidates that didn't have much of a voting record. Barack Obama, John Edwards, um, you know, Donald Trump, as you mentioned. Uh, so I think you're exactly I think you're exactly right. I don't think uh, the experience is an indicative thing of either being a good candidate or a good president. If you look at who was the most experienced president we've ever had prior to being president, it was uh, James Buchanan who most people believe was one of the worst presidents we've ever had and helped uh, precipitate the the civil war through his inaction. So I think you're right. Look, there's nothing that prepares you for being governor or president. Nothing. Lieutenant governor, vice president, whatever. There's nothing that compares you to to do it. And that's why voters have to make up their own decision about what's important to them. Well, now we have to see what happens in November. But uh, I, I think the way Zeldin handled himself during the primary uh, uh, debates was terrible, and if he if he's going to act the same way against Hochul, he's he's going to fail miserably. And uh, Andrew handled himself much better. What do you think is next for Andrew? He's a young man. Clearly, I think you're right. He acquitted himself very well in the in the debates. He does have a lot of name recognition. He's shown an ability to have some political talent. What do you what if you were advising him and he listens to this show? He might be listening right now. What would you advise him to do? I tell you the truth. I happen to disagree with a lot of your callers and a lot of your audience. I think Andrew is very much his own man. That was very evident and very obvious from the debate that I watched. He is extremely articulate. He knows exactly what he's talking about. He held his own when they pushed him and they cut him off. He stood up for himself in an extremely diplomatic uh, coherent way. He he acted extremely mature. He did not act like a child or a baby. And he, he played fair and square. He stuck to the issues. He knew his points. He made his points very clear. And he didn't engage in any of this, uh, you know, yeah. flattering. Yeah, Jacqueline, I agree with you. Uh, thank you very much. We're going to get some expert analysis from Obi Murray in just a moment. Let me squeeze in at least one call here because a lot of folks have been patiently holding. Sean is in Yonkers. Uh, the land of Rob Astorino. Hello there, Sean. Rob Astorino would have been an excellent uh, guy. That's, that's that guy that uh, thinks Janine Pirro's a criminal and a fraud. Neil is on Staten Island. Hello, Neil. You know, Frank, uh, Andrew Ross, I voted for him. I, I, I certainly will support Zeldin. How could anyone support Hochul? Here's a woman who, when she, she was lieutenant governor all these years, and then when she becomes governor, they say, oh, you know, we're going to do about bail reform. She says, well, bail reform's not the problem with crime. But only when it got really bad, it was self-preservation for her. She changed her tune. And now she has the nerve to say she's going to spend millions and millions of dollars so anyone in the world could come to New York and we're going to pay for their abortion? Who the hell does she think she is? I mean, we're choking here, Frank. We cannot have these Democrats anymore. We need a Republican. Thank you, Neil. Obi Murray is here. We'll get his take on everything that happened. He may stick around with us the whole show, and uh, we'll benefit from his expertise, not just on politics, but a bunch of other things. He's wearing, you're going to appreciate this, and I hope our social media team is getting a good look at this. He is dressed head to toe in the other side of Midnight Gear. He's got the hat. He's got the shirt. The guy looks amazing. Right. No underwear. <laughs> no underwear socks, buddy. It's just to my waist. That's well, it. That's o- all you got. Obi Murray, straight ahead. WABC. 
Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. Electricity costs these days. It would cost them a fortune to put out this record. Uh, this is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno analyzing the uh, primary elections here in New York State, both Democrat and Republican, on to November. Uh, there's still some state Senate primaries to get through and some congressional primaries to get through in August. But here to help us break that down is one of the most sought-after political consultants, not just in New York, but the whole country. I've known of E. O'Brien Murray, a.k.a. O.B. Murray, for many, many years. He sort of catapulted to fame in the political world with his incredible uh, victory running Bob Turner's campaign after uh, Anthony Weiner resigned from Congress. He's done a great deal of work in politics for both Republicans and Democrats, done some lobbying, been in the casino business, done some crisis communications, done all sorts of things, and uh, he's occasionally kind enough to shoot me some great information via text as he's listening. Live And uh, as if I wasn't fond of Obi Murray enough already, he came to the studio draped head to toe in the other side of midnight gear. Now I get the camera. Thank you. Yeah, see, shirts, hat, you name it, he's got it all. Uh, By the way, you can check all that out if you go to WABCRadioStore.com. Obi, thanks for coming in studio. It's great to be here. I'm glad I finally did it. Yeah, me too. So uh, we've been talking a little bit about the results, what happened. Any surprises to you? You follow these races as closely as anybody, Democrat or Republican, any surprises? I I think one of the ones, Swazi, and his numbers where he came in, Jamani, was to me a bit more of a surprise. But I had two people told me that last week. They were saying that's where things were going. So total surprise, no, but, you know, that's what it was. I mentioned mentioned early on that when uh, Hochul first became governor – she was viewed as a pretty weak incumbent. People were saying Tish James is going to win. They were saying Andrew Cuomo is going to get in the race. They were saying this person's never been elected governor. How was uh, Hochul able to put together such a massive coalition in a relatively short amount of time to put together such a landslide win in the primary? Well, let's go back to history for a second. You mentioned James, mm. Attorney General. When she, ra- I ran the race for Keith Wolford four years ago, so I followed that primary very closely. We didn't know who we were going to get, uh, and. James, in that race, ran 50% in New York City, and they got 40 in the race. Rough, those are rough numbers. For the Democratic primary, 75% of the voters are from the Hudson Valley to the tip of Long Island. Therefore, north of that is 25%, a lot more of the state. Yeah. North, north country out to, to western New York, central New York, the whole southern tier. And what do you have? 25% of Democratic voters. You take that concept for Hochul from Erie County. And you bring that down to New York City. What was her New York City vote like? And you take the New York City vote from four years ago against Germani, 
And that was her challenge up front. And you put James in there, and that was the team she tried to build for, for New York City. I think what really happened is once, once the party started getting behind her, you take the party chairman here in New York City for the Democrats, five chairmen out here, and they can do quite a bit. And you put your numbers together. Staten Island's very small from the Democratic side. For Republicans, it's very strong. Uh, but you take the other four counties, you get Bronx, Queens, Brooklyn, and, and New York County, and you get the excitement behind a Democrat with a party. The faithful really follow. They're going to the party events. They're going to these other – all the clubs the Democrats have throughout the city are very strong and active. You start doing that, and the governor ties in there, and that's that's the wave she's, she caught. Explain to folks why that is. We've been chronicling on this show, uh, not just in New York, not just in America, but really around the world, kind of the trend towards – populism left right and center and yet in new york whether it was the assembly races or the governor's race or the lieutenant governor's race this was a tremendous win for the party leadership the establishment had a very big night uh last night or tonight why do you how is the party leadership able to mobilize the democratic or republican primary electorate so effectively at a time where it seems like more and more rank and file voters seem kind of ticked off at their own leadership well i've not gone through the numbers i've had Sure. Well, like I had dinner tonight at Empire Steak when you're uh, when oh, you're advertising. Fantastic time on the West Side there. But I was out and about. I was at a Republican event tonight. I was at the Governor's event tonight. So I haven't looked at the computer side by side. One of the reasons I want to try to get on here. But when you look at the turnout this year compared to what it was in eighteen, I'd be curious where it was because you had then you had a lot of money being spent by four the AG candidates. You had you had uh, um, uh, Maloney going. You had James. You had Eve from up in Buffalo. You had Teach Out from the Hudson Valley. You had, so you had two in the Hudson Valley. You had It was a mix, and the money behind it, the energy, those numbers, I'm curious what that turnout was four, you know, four years ago compared to now in, that, in a Democratic primary. So uh, as far as the uh, top uh, ticket races go, the only surprise to you was that Swazi performed so poorly. It, it, it was. In this, I don't I want to say poorly. Just his compared to Jamani at that point, where, where the order came out. Because uh-huh. uh, Jamani had no money. Tom spent a lot of money. I think what, what the governor was probably able to do – was try to bring somehow the, the moderate voter back to her towards victory, and Tom was trying to tap. But again, money is a mother's milk of politics, mm. as Governor Whitman used to say. So you put that together with, with Tom's message, it's just tough to get out. Yeah, uh, yeah. We're talking with uh, E. O'Brien Murray. Obi, he's been called uh, the mostly a lot of Star Wars references uh, because, so that people can invoke Obi-Wan Kenobi. I think um, I think one of the profiles on you after the uh, Bob Turner race called you the Jedi Master. Of, that was, uh, that was Ozzy. He's now the, the conservative campaign Jedi. That was Ozzy, who was a politic, Politico at the time, I believe, or, or what, Politics New York, maybe the publication. Right, yeah. He's now at the New York Times. Great guy, but yeah, he was uh, he was the one that wrote there that. There you go. It's nice to have a Jedi. That was studio. a that four thousand word online essay. That was something. That, that was something. That I, I don't know why he did that. Yeah, but he, he must have been up drinking a lot of diet coke <laughs> or something. Um, okay, Lee Zeldin and the Republicans. Uh, v- big victory for him. Is this a result of what he and his campaign did right, or is this a result of what the other three campaigns did poorly? You, you asked the other question about the Democrats. I sort of buried a little bit. Mm. It validated. Is the simplest way to put it. The, you may say. It was the party and, and the leadership, and, and they're great men and women, both parties across the board. But validation to somebody that didn't know is a, is a terrific motivator for people to support somebody at that time. So that was it. So going back to Republicans. Republicans. Uh, yeah. Zeldin's <clears throat> win is it a result of a brilliantly run campaign on his part? Is it a result of a lackluster campaign on the part of his opponents or a little bit of both? I would actually – there was nothing lackluster about his three opponents. The money spent by, by a couple opponents, the energy – I had I had uh, text calls comments when I was out and about 
uh, about Andrew Giuliani, everybody was impressed with him on TV. Every whatever the topic was, they may not agreed with it or not, but they Democrats didn't agree with it. Republicans some did, some didn't. But at the end of the day, the way he carried himself on TV, they were like, "Wow, that was pretty." You talking about in the run Andrew. up to the debate? And, and, in the run Andrew up to- Giuliani from day one when they saw somebody saw him at the convention out in Nassau County, and they, wow. And this was the guy who ran for office the first time. Yes, he'd be in on Newsmax, but it's very different as a candidate. What was the what was the thing that kept him from putting together enough votes to win? Probably money for the for the first part. I mean, you can't get your message out no matter who you are, what you are. We've had great men and women in both parties run for office who don't win. And you're like, wow, the other person won. How'd that happen? They got their message out. Right. And it, Bill de Blasio is a great example I like to use at getting that message out. Campaign finance, New York City, like, love, hate it, different things. You and I had, had conversations. Yep. But no matter what you say, it's a leveling playing field for dollars spent on TV or digital or mail and so Once forth. Once you qualify for the Who threshold. was the yeah. African-American candidate for mayor in 2013 in the Democratic primary? In 2013, it was uh, Bill Thompson. That was. Yeah. But you even had to hesitate yourself a yeah. little bit. Well, it's just all these uh, all, years. No, but the average together. person thinks Bill de Blasio. Right. Not that he was African-American. Right. We tapped into the black vote. John right. Liu was on African-American was black, TV, black radio. And ads and money he spent there. And as Anthony Weiner fell down, and as you talked about that night, you had him on your show uh, a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. um, as his numbers evaporated, Bill de Blasio picked them up. But the Dante ad caught the attention and earned media, and that was significant. Bob Turner in 2011 in that race, earned media, was magnificent with Mayor Koch. I, I had the greatest time in my political career sitting there with Mayor Koch, myself, Bob Turner, and one other gentleman who's since passed away with, with the mayor, and talking about how Bob could win this race. Oh, and the no, mayor, I can imagine. The mayor would call me on Saturdays from Montauk when he was out there. Obi, I got to talk to you. I'd step out of the office out in Howard Beach and be on the phone with that man for 30 minutes. No, uh, and it was, was magnificent. He was what a, a treat. He was a treat yeah. to be around. I was lucky, to, to I was lucky to. for Bob to. I didn't meet Bob the day he announced. What do you think the future is for Andrew Giuliani? You mentioned maybe as a TV pundit. I suspect that's what he'll do. And and frankly, whoever's running for president on the Republican side will grab him in two seconds. All right. Um, Handicap the general election for us. Lee Zeldin, Kathy Hochul. The conventional wisdom is that uh, she has a very strong advantage. Is that how you see it? I, I, I wouldn't answer. It's not an easy answer in that sense. I think it oversimplifies it. You have historic activities in New York whether it be COVID, whether it be crime, which are something that, that both parties speak to both parties speak to differently. And at the end of the day, it is the voters that get motivated to show up, as we learned in 18, when all the Democrats showed up to vote in 18, and the Republicans that voted for Donald Trump didn't show up because he wasn't on the ballot. And the Democrats showed up to, to go after President Trump, and the Republicans that voted for him said, oh, he's not in the ballot. Right. I'm not going. Yeah, nobody learned that lesson better than my friend Dan Donovan that year. Let me tell you. Um, all right. Uh, this was the – go ahead. No, but, 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 but it, where, we're, where I was going with that is that this year, June primary, last time was September. Right. Republicans in a competitive race had never had any situation in the, with the primary especially that wasn't September in, in recent years. You now have from June to November to raise money. At this point, you have June to November to organize, mm-hmm. to unite the party. So Zeldin can maybe he has a an opportunity a, that was never there before. He has the opportunity also to fall uh, in, in the challenges that then create quagmire for a longer time to get out of. But also during the doldrums of summer right now, he can travel the state. Mm-hmm. He can raise money. He doesn't have to spend money on TV. It's raise it, 
and spend it at that point. It's going to be very interesting. We're talking with O.B. Murray. Uh, Let me ask you also about the lieutenant governor primary, which uh, a lot of folks thought was going to be a bit more competitive. The winner of that was the person that was plucked by Governor Hochul to replace the uh, now under indictment, Brian Benjamin, her first choice as lieutenant governor. This was uh, Antonio Delgado in his victory speech last night. We have to combat the forces of hate and division by meeting people where they are not with a top-down politics, but with a bottom-up approach where our strength is our unity. This requires listening before you speak. It means genuinely engaging with communities all across the state. And it means leading from the heart with love. As Dr. King would say, a strong and demanding love. New York has always led the country in moments like these, from establishing a woman's right to choose to ensuring women have the right to vote, to founding the NAACP, to recognizing gay marriage, to being at the front lines of the environmental movement and the labor movement, to being the epicenter of multiculturalism, of what it means to be multi-religious, multi-ethnic, tolerant, and accepting of all difference. This is New York. New York has always been ahead of the national curve, setting the pace. And now more than ever, We need New York to not only set the pace, but to hold the line. It's clear the uh, constituency he was targeting his message to there. Did you expect the lieutenant governor primary for governor to be a bit more competitive? Tonight I did not. You did A month month ago, absolutely. The, The DSA and the other Democratic progressive organizations had a split. If you go back to when they filed petitions, one of these little things you and I pay more attention Mm -hmm. to others, very rarely do you see two candidates on the same ticket in this situation, governor, lieutenant governor. They had two separate committees to fill vacancies. Mm. Only name between the two, Brad Lander. Where was Brad during this lieutenant governor's race? (laughs) He disappeared. He evaporated. Right. Why? Because his allies backed uh, Jamani Williams running mate, I would think. Right? No, no, that's what that, and that yeah. Jamani Williams and Anna had different committees to fill mm-hmm. vacancy on the same petition. Working Families Party and DSA didn't come together at the beginning. I see. And they split up in the middle. Why did AOC step up and endorse this week after early voting, after you could raise money? If you look what happened in the mayor's race, she stepped in and endorsed late. What did that mean to the woman she endorsed? She couldn't raise money in a matching fund situation. So, so why did I mean AOC? I have to think has someone around her that has the political sophistication to know of the impact of her endorsement at I, that juncture. Why did she do it in the mayor's race? Why did she do it in the lieutenant governor's race? I, in I, the manner I always did. like to speak facts. Mm-hmm. I don't know the facts. Yeah. So I'm well, going to make I'm this. You no, I know, and I, I want to yeah. just qualify because right. that's one of the things that I've because I work for Democrats and Republicans across the years. I've been able to to have communications with both people and be in the rooms and have these conversations and so forth and not be confrontational when we speak. Okay, that's what we want to do. This is the challenges you have. We present it to anybody like we do in corporate America. This is what we get through. It's not a bias. It's not a you're wrong, I'm right. It is this is what we need to do to come together to get to whatever point you want to do no matter what the party is. Uh, AOC, I believe, and her people, whatever was going on, had other priorities did not see the benefit of this. And I will say this tonight, and this is totally speculation. She hasn't filed the paperwork to change it yet, but she's running for Senate. The U.S. Senate is AOC. She's running against Gillibrand. Gillibrand She will primary Gillibrand. And I've heard other names out there, but AOC did that. Not just with – when that – when the decision leaked, her antenna went up. She ran over there. She was there. She was on network Mm -hmm. Sunday morning this year. No, I saw. And 
if and, and you saw this early on too, there were tweets and I had the I saved them. I was putting this together, different people making the message out. There was a press conference down, I think it was at NYU at Washington Square Park, and with progressive it was Lander and it was somebody else, another progressive running, they were coming together, then Anna, and it wasn't Jamani. And Jamani had family things and God bless and I hope they're all healthy. But there were times when he'd be out and he wasn't with them. And you saw them at a uh, an event up in Albany when it was Latinos and, and African Americans, different things. Jamani, it was, and they didn't even tag him or mention him, wishes he was here. Like things of that sort to me as an insider, watching these little things, the tell sides, like watching a judge or a jury in a courtroom. I watched these things a bit closer in that sense. And it seemed there was a push to Anne at the beginning. And the, the message was very simple she will be a statewide elected progressive. We need her, and let's go do it. Mm-hmm. And that may have scared people because if she had won, that means two years from now, she could run from lieutenant governor for U.S. Senate. And never lose lieutenant governor office, and and the governor couldn't kick her out. So a, should a, she be a threat to, to another Latino Senate women? Ambitions. A Latino mm-hmm. as as governor, as lieutenant governor of New York State, would be the high. I believe there could be California, be some other Latinos, but as a woman here in New York, would be one of the, if not the, and oh, I can't I can't say the because I don't know, but one of the highest ranking Latinos, whether Democrat or Republican, in the entire country at a time when the Latino voters are up. For grabs. Uh, last question, and we're going to bring you back uh, throughout the the morning. What are the key issues for the general election? Whether we're talking the governor's race, whether we're talking the handful of state legislative races that are competitive around the state, the issue that got the most attention on the Republican side uh, during the primaries was crime. Swazi tried to make that a, an issue in the Democratic primary contest. Didn't seem to get as much traction uh, there. What are the big issues that you see each candidate? Uh, focusing on? Is it going to be Hochul talking about abortion and Zeldin talking about crime, or is there more to it that you see? I don't think abortion is the abortion is a, is a motivator for your, your and her side of the aisle at that right. point. The Republican side is not going to help her, and a lot of the independents aren't too, because then the debate comes over about what the abortion laws are and where it goes. Because as people will talk about, it could be I'm not going to name states, but the, you know, the Acme state going far right and the Widget state going far left, right. whatever it might be, right? New York has to figure out what it might be and where she's going to go. Everything she did now is for the Democratic primary. The, the the gun issue and what happened in the Supreme Court, she was answering that question for a Democratic primary voter. If that decision came out after the primary, it might have been softened up a little bit to bring people together and unite. Joe Biden's message was unite. When you saw his signs, text unite all across the board. So you, bringing people together is going to be a major part of this thing. Crime, yes. Abortion at this point as a motivator for their troops. But it's the economy, stupid. James Carville, what mm-hmm. he did with, with Bill Clinton, that that is always going to be right now. You pay every time you go and to the pump. And that would seem to inure to Zeldin's benefit, right? It should. It should. And it goes back to what the surveys are going to say. Who do you think is going to get you there and do a better job? The governor put it – governor eliminated lower the gas tax, whichever that was. I, I, yeah, I want to speak right. back when I know it, but the gas tax down. But you still have income tax. You still have corporate tax. You still have – other taxes in New York City, you have what is going to be congestion pricing. Mm-hmm. She was a big proponent of that with the Democratic primary with environmental issues and so forth. But every single voter that votes in, in Queens pays it. Obi Murray is here. We're going to check in with him throughout the uh, the morning. We have uh, some other expert analysts that we're going to check in with as well. Ty DeLorean, the man who may be the son of John DeLorean. He's going to join us in about a half hour. We'll talk about about cars, and uh, we'll take your phone calls as well. If you have any comment about my discussion with Obi Murray, give me a call, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. 
We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Jefferson Airplane, if you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing, you can always join our Facebook group. Uh, just search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. You know what I love about our Facebook uh, army, right? A nice fella just uh, emailed me. And uh, he seems like a good guy, actually. And um, he just says, yes, I think you are naive. <laughs> That's the only thing. No explanation as to why. No, no, no reason to justify that comment. So my response was so to most people. All right, 800-848-9222. Pete is in the live free or die state of New Hampshire. Hello, Pete. Hey, Frank. You know, I'm going to tell you something real quick. I'm going to make it real quick and easy for everybody listening to your program. Number one, I live in the state of New Hampshire, but I was born and raised in uh, Gansford, New York, which is just north of Saratoga, Frank, by the by. And the other thing is, I moved the hell out of New York in 1977. The politics stunk, and and Albany is corrupt. Was corrupt then. It still is today. And here's the thing. I I if I was living in New York, I would vote for Z, Lee Zeldin. But here's the other problem. When it comes to that, the history of my family, the Vernoy family on my mother's side, they were Dutch. When Albany. They landed in New York after Henry Hudson and the Half Moon, and and Albany was Orange, New York. Okay. The other thing is, is Lee Zeldin would be a great a candidate, a great person to run and win. The problem is, is Albany is corrupt. It stinks of corruption. It always has in history, and it always will be, and it's not going to change. Well, the, thank you, Pete. I, I guess my advice is just give up. Give up. Move to New Hampshire like Pete did. If uh, Albany's corrupt, throw your hands in the air, shrug, and say, oh, we're not going to do anything anyway. Just leave. I mean, well, Pete, there's some of us that enjoy living in this state and want to vote to uh, make it a little different. But uh, you know what? That's the Pete in New Hampshire philosophy. Obi, what were you going to add there? I'm just curious. 
if the if the premise was Albany's corrupt, it'll hurt Lee. Lee's not there. Yeah, that helps Lee. I, I, yeah, and I, the governor the governor has either been a Cuomo person or she's only he, been there a short time. He, I was just confused. You know, the, I was confused that following the orange and the Dutch immigrant. Oh, it's a great plug. It's yeah, a great plug for everyone's everyone's ethnic everyone's, history. Oh, that was terrific. <laughs> I love that. It certainly was. All right, it's over, Johnny. Um, Alec Baldwin interviewed Woody Allen uh, today or yesterday. I watched most of it. And we'll play you some of the highlights, and we'll go into uh, what these two had to say. Spoiler alert, they did not deal with uh, Woody Allen's uh, sex scandal, purported sex scandal, or Alec Baldwin killing someone. And uh, Ty DeLorean is going to be here. We're going to try and find out if he is, in fact, the son of John DeLorean and why he's selling cars to the Taliban. All that and a whole lot more in the words of the great Bob Barker. Help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. I got to get out of here. I got to get out. Is there some place to go? Is there some place I can get away from all of this? This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano, observer of human culture, observer of society, all in out, just an observer of things. And you know what? Sometimes I'll observe things about people, and um, there are certain people that you can't say anything about because there's nothing to say anything about, right? They're, they're, they're boring, right? There are other people that you can't say anything about because they're really on the money. They're very sharp. They're very, you know, they're very good at whatever it is that they're doing. Then there are other people you can't say anything about, at least I can't, because you don't want to be mean. You don't want to come across as, you know, something like a, a bully, right? Then there's that sweet spot of someone that you can kind of gently, as long as it's in good fun, kind of gently make fun of, but they're not going to go and, you know, hide themselves in the closet and break down in tears, right? Because that would be not a good thing. I, I must say, we are blessed to have one of those people on our staff in the person of Alex Barnard. Alex Barnard does a great job. I'm not sure what his title is. I think it's producer or associate producer, or he might have made up a title that's even more elaborate than that. But Alex Barnard is in that sweet spot of having just enough to ridicule, but he's such a nice guy, you almost don't want to do it, but he can kind of take a joke, so you do want to do it. And that's where um, our story finds us this morning. So yesterday, we do this whole segment on Harry Wilson inadvertently texting Lee Zeldin about a negative, uh, about a negative uh, text message, calling Lee Zeldin a name, right? And um, we do a whole discussion about it. And basically, if you missed yesterday's show, Harry Wilson, who was one of the Republicans running for governor, he uh, texted uh, his guy – his campaign aide and Lee Zeldin 
complaining about one of Zeldin's campaign aides, what he was tweeting. The campaign aide was named Ben Wiener. So we finished the segment, and then at the top of the next hour, Alex Barnard comes in, and this is a pretty good approximation of the story that Alex Barnard told me in which he told me he didn't want to tell me about it on air because he was afraid that I would make fun of him. Little did he know that just a 23 hours of time passing would not stop me from doing so. This is a pretty good approximation of the story that Alex Barnard told me and my reaction to it. Jeez, Lois, I thought having you here was going to be fun, but so far you're a bigger buzzkill than Buzz Killington. <laughs> oh, man, this is the best party I've ever been to. <laughs> Evening, everyone. I thought it would be very droll if we all sat down and looked at etchings. Would you like to join me, Peter? Uh, well, we're, we're kind of partying here. Good. Hold this up. Now, here's a fellow attempting to ride a bicycle. But he's having some trouble, isn't he? Would you like to know why? <laughs> why? Because he's a Scot. <laughs> Now, who here likes a good story about a bridge? <laughs> so, Alex, you came in here yesterday. Oh, the show's like five-star. We're talking about Pluto and vaccines, and uh, I'm sure there was some alien stuff. We're talking about uh, Ukraine. I got people calling in live from Russia. And you came in here and said that you went to high school with this person that almost no one knows. Well, first of all, I, boy, don't I feel stupid that I cut that audio of Buzz Killington with no, you know, no idea that this is the reason why you would use it. But um, <laughs> uh, I guess I'm just not a very interesting person. No, Who knows? <laughs> you're interesting enough. You're like that guy in The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly that gets kind of conned into digging his own grave. That's what the that's what the story is there. But yeah, yeah, that's the story of my life. Yeah, yeah. but uh, no, no, I mean, it's it's all in good fun. <laughs> but here's the, the other thing that I don't understand, Alex, is, you know, I, I was messaging you, you know, a good portion of the day. I think I messaged you around 3 o'clock or so, maybe a little earlier. Please try and get some cuts, plural, from, you know, the Woody Allen Alec Baldwin interview, and that we now, we have only one. Why do we only have one in spite of, you know, seven or eight hours of opportunity to cut audio about Woody Allen and Alec Baldwin? Frank, I don't I don't just cut audio all day for you. You know that, right? I mean, I, I, I do have a life outside of WABC, but um, while I was cutting the audio of Woody Allen... You know, we're also dealing with cutting audio from the primaries, which I was also very dutifully cutting audio of and sending out to everyone on the staff. So they see. might be able to use it for later shows. I see. So, so you're blaming everybody else. Blaming everybody yeah. else. So, I, I blah, like passing blah, the buck. Blah, blah, what blah, was blah. Alex Barnard doing today instead of editing the Woody Allen, Alec Baldwin interview? This is actual audio, not a dramatization. Hey, new Brian. Oh, I see you're having pie. You know, pie isn't really pie without Cool Whip. Everything's better with Cool Whip. Did you hear what I said? Yeah, what about it? It doesn't bother you the way I pronounce it? Cool Whip? No, why would it? Cool Whip. I'm putting emphasis on the H. Sounds right to me. Nothing ever bothers you, does it? No, not really. I like everything. God, he's a bigger buzzkill than Buzz Killington. Stewie. 
Do you know why W.S. Gilbert was frequently drunk on his transatlantic crossings? No. Because he was quartered on the port side. <laughs> now that I've got you, let's both revisit the birth of the Doily Cot Opera Company. Oh. <laughs> all right, all right. So um, that that was uh, that was an approximation of Alex Barnard instead of editing the Woody Allen uh, Alec Baldwin discussion. But so you went to high school with this guy Ben Weiner. I did, and I he was a couple years ahead of me. I didn't really know him very well. I knew he was a pretty staunch Republican, though, from the get go. I mean, I remember him uh being very adamantly against Andrew Cuomo whenever uh the subject would come up in the hallway or something like that and um little did i realize that he would end up having somewhat of a life in local politics but but you know when you ran in here though and said that no i, I didn't I, run in I, here no, no, to do no, that you, you ran Matt. he no. ran in here right he ran in here right? he's always running for a guy in that that's that's being pulled in so many different directions he's working on this show he's cutting audio for everybody too busy to cut multiple audio cuts of woody allen and alec baldwin he had time to run in here and 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 i thought he was going to tell me this great story about ben Weiner being involved in some major scandal in the high school and then that's the whole story is that ben Weiner, who I, oh, I barely know who he is and i follow this stuff closely um that you guys went to the same high school right i mean it was a little anticlimactic is the point well yeah zero I know. point zero <laughs> most of my stories are fairly anticlimactic i think zero i think the only one that was zero. kind of uh interesting for our audience's uh point of view was when i like fallen and hurt myself that was pretty pretty that was not uh, pretty badly that's yeah. true and we're glad we're glad you're okay now um all right well thank you very much for your service appreciate it yeah i always do my best for you you know you do you do you see i and i appreciate that so this way the better i do the better we all do hopefully you could turn pro with that frank morano impersonation that uh that you've been getting such great reviews on. So anyway, Woody Allen uh, did this interview with uh, Alec Baldwin yesterday, and it's very funny. They had technical problems three times. I mean, Woody Allen's an 86-year-old man, and, it, you know, he's not a young 86. You could tell that using, and he acknowledges much, using Instagram or social media or, as, as Woody Allen referred to it, any form of gadgetry, which I just loved, is not his thing. And he goes on and on. He has... He says, I've never liked cameras or tape recorders or uh, or anything. And they got disconnected a whole bunch of times. It was kind of funny to watch. It's nice to see that that doesn't just happen to people that I try to interact with, that it happens to uh, big Hollywood stars as well. So you have one controversial guy, Alec Baldwin, who has been controversial for many years, uh, most recently for killing someone on the set of the movie Rust, uh, interviewing another very controversial guy who's gotten basically become radioactive in result of that HBO documentary in which his adopted daughter alleged that uh, he molested her back in 1992. They're talking about a lot of things. They didn't really touch on any of the controversies. They didn't deal with Alec Baldwin killing people or Woody Allen molesting people. They discussed movies. And this new book that um, that Woody Allen has out called Zero Gravity, in which uh, basically it's a collection of essays. It does sound pretty interesting. I am a fan of Woody's work. I may end up buying it. Here's a little bit, the little bit that we have that Alex Barnard was able to take the time to edit of uh, Alec Baldwin interviewing Woody Allen. If you if you 
saw it, by the way, and you have thoughts, and I know a lot of you emailed me, you can uh, give me a call, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Here is uh, Alec Baldwin and Woody Allen. So the difference between writing apropos of nothing and zero gravity, what was the, is there a difference in the way you write a book? There's a big difference because uh, my autobiography took a long time. And by a long time, I mean over a year to to write. I wrote a little and came back to it and remembered other things and came back. And you have to sustain interest for the reader, you know, for for many pages, for a few hundred pages, several hundred pages. And I tried my best to do that, to make my autobiography entertaining and not just a parade of facts. Uh, you know, he was born in like a Wikipedia. Uh, so I, you know, that, but a, a book of casuals, a book like Zero Gravity, are just short, funny pieces. You get little inspirations now and then, and I write them. I hope that they're funny. It takes me, you know, a week to write one, sometimes uh, maybe even just two days to write one. And, um, and then I obsess over it for a little while and, you know, send it in. Uh, but it's different. A, a, an autobiography is, is a much greater investment of time and effort and and thinking. And uh, someone once said to me a long time ago that the difference between writing a short story and a novel, say, it, it's not that a, a novel can be 10 times longer but it's not 10 times harder. It's a hundred times harder. So that was uh, Alec Baldwin and Woody Allen. I was just talking off air with Obi Murray. He said, basically, why would these two possibly get together? What advisor to either of them would say, you know, the guy that's really going to rehabilitate your reputation right now, Woody Allen, you know, the guy that you really need to get back into the mainstream of what the public finds acceptable, Alec Baldwin, <laughs> But you know what? Part of me gives them credit because they both know that that's the reaction people are going to have. And both of them said, oh, we, you know, we don't care. We don't care. This is our thing. We're going to do it. And I guess it's not bad publicity for this uh, this new book of essays that he's written, Zero Gravity. I, I may end up buying it. We're going to try and get him on the radio. But Woody does very little, very few interviews these days unless they're with, um, you know, killer movie stars. Woody Allen, uh, the, here's the interesting part. He said that. His upcoming film, which is his 50th film, I think I've seen about 35. I was looking through the list. I've seen at least 34. One, I'm not sure if I've seen. I've I've gone through the list. I've seen most of them. He says this upcoming film will likely be his last. He essentially said the thrill of making films for him is not gone, but actually those was the word that he used. He said the thrill is gone. From movie making, and I remember when American Masters on PBS did a special on him maybe about eight years ago, they asked him if you could either never watch another sporting event again or never see another motion picture again, what would you pick? And he said, I would never see another motion picture again. And the, the director or the person interviewing him was surprised. And he said, well, how come? He says, because for me, you know, the magic of movies is largely gone, whereas sports remains thrilling. And so I thought that was interesting. And, uh, you know, we did a whole segment a couple of weeks ago on when the right time is to hang it up. 
And I, I think Woody, after 50 films, look, I imagine he's having a tougher time getting distribution for his films and getting an audience for his films than he did even 20 or 25 years ago. But I think 50 films, you've had a good career. You don't need to keep making films after 50. Let people appreciate the body of work that you have. You're welcome to disagree if you like. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Ty DeLorean will be here in about 15 minutes. Mario is in Manhattan. Hello, Mario. Yes, good morning, sir. I want to relate to the uh, primary election. Uh, The previous show that was on before yours, the uh, host of that show uh, made a comment to a caller and said that there's a possibility when the debates, if they come between the Republican and the Democratic winners, uh, that the Democratic person, the lady, uh, would not be apt to engage with the other gentleman, the Republican, and I, I, they left it at that. And I'm I'm curious as to why that would be. Uh, the rule of thumb should be that if you're going to vote for these people, then they have to uh, be questioned by uh, proper people, uh, not necessarily uh, news reporters or journalists, but the actual electorate. Uh, that would go into a studio and post questions yeah. for them. Well, I mean, you could say that, Mario, and I certainly agree with you morally and ethically, but that's not the law. There's no law or rule requiring that you debate unless you're running for citywide office and you participate uh-huh. in the campaign finance uh, program. Okay, but but when they had that debate, sir, if you saw any of that between the lady that was the uh, yeah. reporter and the gentleman... Uh, well, are you, are you, when you say the lady that was the reporter, who's yeah, I, the blonde head? Right, Marsha Kramer, lady. who's been a great journalist for thirty years. Yes. Well, okay, fine, but why ask a question if you're not going to allow somebody to answer it and complete their comment? Yeah, because well, I, I agree with you. As soon as you know, yeah. I mean that's that, that's not how it should be. Yeah, yet, I'm, yet I'm, but the, what candidates right. will always try to do is what sometimes radio callers will try to do. They'll try to filibuster ad infinitum and answer the question they want to answer rather than the one that's uh, that's being asked to them. So I happen to like Marsha Kramer. I, I didn't think that debate was her strongest uh, moment. I thought that she basically did more of a debate for a general election audience than one that Republican primary voters were interested in hearing. Eric Bowling who I've never really seen moderate a debate before, uh, and I'm sure he did maybe once or twice when he was at Fox News, but I think Eric Bowling did a very good job playing to the audience for the Newsmax debate. But, um, you know, we'll see what happens. I'm sure there'll be at least one debate, 800-848-9222. Uh, Obi Murray, who's uh, kind enough to stick around with us, uh, what were your two cents stick on Stick around. You, in you gloom me down here? Yeah, and exactly. You got your no, I, The amazing thing about debates is that most people don't watch the whole debate. And if they do, they already know where they're going to vote. It's the, it's the media coverage that comes from mm-hmm. it. It's had a breakthrough to the voter to get the attention, as I said, with earned media. So engaging in debates becomes a whole theatrics of when they're going to be. So Bob Turner against uh, Wendy Long in that primary, that debate on New York 1 was Sunday night before the election, Father's Day, the day of the, P- of the U.S. Open. Right, right. How many people <laughs> were watching that? Right, nobody. And then it was all about the media coverage afterwards because – Bob was a congressman down in Washington. There was he had a, he had a super uh, higher level of different things. He lost the primary for different things going on there, but and he got in the race last minute and so forth. But there's a reason when to engage and how. Which stations? Mm-hmm. New York one is New York City. It doesn't really get you anywhere else. Now with Spectrum changing things across the board, it changed. Uh, in the past, you've had issues with uh, 
uh, strikes going on in Spectrum and Democrats not crossing the picket line for the general, but they sure did for the primaries. Um, and there's things like that. It's trying to get on broadcast negotiations. And then all of a sudden, we one campaign can talk to CBS and Marsha. Right. Somebody else talked to Melissa Russo at NBC. And then you're talking to Errol and, and Bob Hart and the other guys at New York One. And they're all trying to figure this out. And then something pops where you go to one and that guy pops the other one. And they never come together. So mm-hmm. it's like they're trying to engage, but on their terms. Yeah. No, it makes sense. We'll see what happens. Uh, I would imagine, you know, Hochul ran largely a Rose Garden strategy for the primary I would think she's going to try and do something close to the same situation for the general. I don't know that she's going to be able to get away with not debating at least the, once. The difference, too, don't forget, for the primary and the general, it's the calendar of this June primary. Mm-hmm. Right. What was the budget? Five was months, the end of yeah. session. But but there was other things going on there. Right. How long has she been in office for? Uh, and all these operational things. And then, of course, with the Brian Benjamin situation going on and he when he was out. They had a lot of other things to do. Right now, it is a glide path between now and November. Right. They've but, got a special session next week. On, on, on guns and what the laws are going to do there and bringing things together. That's going to be a real test of what she's doing about uniting or, or the Democratic Party and what they're doing also in the Assembly and the Senate. I mean, AOC the other day on videotape said about electing Democrats. She, and literally the, some of the comments on and afterwards were she wants Democrats out. And for her, it was all about abortion. Mm-hmm. Now, I've had this conversation with reporters sometimes because I got a report, great report. I mean, nothing against them. They, we speak with reporters all the time. They don't use your stuff. But the bottom line is the progressives – our own are such purist. If you deviate one iota from that, they come after you. Right, and it happened up in Westchester. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. If you or a Bowman rather, Bronx and Westchester with Israel, they went after him, and the DSA had meetings and meetings oh, yeah. and discussions about should he be out or not about Israel because he wasn't a purist where they were, but he was he was where he should be and where I think everybody should be, but it wasn't where that party was. I mean. That's what happens. Yeah, there's a litmus test. Every issue is a litmus right. test. Right. So, but yeah. so Hochul, Governor Hochul now has a different campaign between right. now and November with that no session, no issue with bills and legislation. It's true. Uh, 800-848-WABC. Last thing I, I did want to add on the Woody Allen front is uh, that somebody emailed me. And I feel like Woody Allen is probably like a, a lot of our listeners, right? And that I, this fellow just emailed me, and he's right. One thing that surprised me about the Woody Allen interview is that Woody said he ju- he doesn't watch any current TV shows, but sticks to just movies on Turner Classic Movies. And then this fellow writes that it was years ago Allen was in the forefront of directors who strenuously objected to the colorization of black and white films. He even testified before Congress about it. And uh, TCM shows colorized black and white films. They don't do that so much anymore. That was a big thing that they did when Ted Turner was involved with TCM. Ted Turner, for a bunch of reasons, is not involved in TCM anymore. So they don't do a lot of colorizing of movies. Usually if a film is black and white and and there's a black and white version of it, they show the black and white version of it. I, in fact, I'm trying to remember, and I watched TCM, I don't remember the last time I saw a colorized version. So I'm not surprised to know that Woody is not up on uh, Ozark or or Billions or Shameless or any of the 900 shows that everybody says Frank, like. Do you, do you read books? Do you, you watch, you've watched 37 movies of the same... <laughs> Well, what over the, the what course your, of a lifetime. Did your wife know before she married you? I mean, she's got a fantastic <laughs> last name. Great woman. But a woman named O'Brien, I mean, did, did, did we question that judgment? 37 movies from him? Over the course of a lifetime. In fact, Frank, in fact I, I think I don't see a lot of gray hair up there, buddy. Oh, please. You, you got, you got some, more than I'd like, more than my dad has. Uh, Charles is in Queens. Hello, Charles. Yes, hi. Good morning. Good morning. You put on an inch, the quote in the victory speech from Huckle. I'm listening to it, and she enumerates the problems New Yorkers had in the recent past. 
And then she concludes with, you want to know what? Because we persevered. We prevailed. That is the most arrogant lie I've ever encountered, ever heard. We, we solve these problems where? People aren't dying. Prices aren't going up. Fentanyl isn't killing 100,000 people a year. Well, I mean, Charles, you got to. I mean, what? Charles, we, we prevail. Right. And the audience cheers. Charles, Charles. I had a social study. Charles, she said the masses are asses. Charles, you got to understand. Uh, she's the governor of the state, right? And she's only been there a short time. And she's got to put forward the best possible spin on her record. What What is she going to say? We've done nothing and the state is horrible and getting worse under my leadership? Come on. She's the governor. What do you expect? Charles brings up a great point. Perception's reality. Yeah. And we deal in perception. And you know, that's what we have to do. We, 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 reality doesn't always get there. Rudy Giuliani, when he was mayor, and you know, front page of news and everything going on there now, New York was the lowest, had the lowest crime rate of, of large cities in the whole country. Nobody outside New York believed it. Right. And therefore, one of the things they had to do to sell New York was to go out and sell it. So when you look at things like Michelle and the controllers debate, Michelle Cruz Cabrera, when I worked with her, I've known Michelle 15 years. I've worked with her now for a couple of years on her races. There was a question about the city and the future of the city. And she stood up and was a cheerleader. She was positive. We were talking about how she could lead and be a cheerleader for the city and what the city needed. And right there, Corey Johnson sat there and, and talked about how poor the city was. And she's like mm. – You've been speaker for how many years? And you've been in there for eight years? So it's your fault. And it was the same with other elected officials there that you, know, you can't have it both ways. You, and therefore, they want to be positive about it. And Michelle was positive, and no one else was. They were trying to blame other people for it when they were there. Yeah. And so the perception is what it is. And, and it's the same thing that Eric's got today, Mayor Adams, with the subways. When there's one thing that happens, it's significant for that one person, people to see it. But the rest of the world, here's the one, and they see thousands. Jeff is in Jersey City. Hello, Jeff. Hello, Frank. Um, you're voting for Hochul, I guess, or I, Wilson? Or I, I, don't know, I, I don't know. I'm going to uh, look all at right. all the candidates. You know, I'm open Good. to uh, voting for Zeldin. I'm not voting for Hochul, Good. I'll tell you that. I'm open okay. to voting for right. Zeldin. I'm open to voting uh, for uh, Larry Sharp. I don't think Wilson okay. is going to campaign actively as a third-party candidate. Right, I so I, if he, you, if I what, can. I'm, I'm sorry, Jeff. I didn't okay. mean to interrupt your interruption. Go ahead. Okay. My interruption, I forgive me. Uh, Hochul uh, being uh, the empty loser that she is, and she's really, Frank, what New York has become, it's a ghetto state, losing its tax base, uh, tax base um, a good appointment, which Lee Zeldin, oh, and by the way, ABC Radio took an hour from Mark Levin uh, to give it to um, O'Reilly's uh, tape in the basement or whatever he does with that show. Um, but um, to, to Levin's credit, he endorsed uh, Lee Zeldin uh, about 8 o'clock this evening, which was good. He's my candidate, and he will demolish uh, Kathy Hochul in a debate. He's solid from top to bottom. I know you guys don't believe that, and you're not a Zeldin fan. But Sid said no matter who loses, it's all hands on deck. Sid and Bernie said that in the morning. I'm going to hold them to their word uh, because Zeldin can beat. Uh, Hochul, but depends on also uh, Will Curtis, uh, Curtis Sliwa, and Giuliani, and of course the father. You know, you 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 said what a thing something the other night. Has anybody lost the, the speed off their fastball? There's one that's going on, carrying on every day. Who lost his? He lo- he didn't know only lose the fastball. He lost the ability to throw a ball. That's the old man, Giuliani. Oh please, keep him out of the way. 
Get him out of the way. I, I completely disagree with you. Um, well, thank you, Jeff, for the call. One, I think there was a question in there in the combination of sentence fragments and run-on sentences that you strung together. I think the question was, is Curtis going to uh, endorse Lee Zell? And I have no idea. I, I would think there's a good chance that he will. Uh, but if you want to know the answer to that, I, you remember, Curtis was a Republican nominee for mayor last year. And if you have Google in front of you, um, look, Curtis is no, his own man. And we haven't had a conversation about this in the last uh, four, five hours. But go to Google, put in quotation marks, Lee Zeldin endorses Curtis Sliwa and see what comes up. OK, and then I think that is going to give you a pretty good indication of what Curtis is likely to do in the governor's race. That's just my two cents. That's just my speculation. I haven't spoken with Curtis about it. All right. Um, uh, Ty, uh, Ty DeLorean is going to be here in just a moment. I am very much looking forward to this conversation. You could tell Ty DeLorean, I, I have never met him, never spoken to him, reading about him. You could tell he's a little brilliant and he's a little crazy and he might be a con artist. So um, that's your warning. But I'm really looking forward to talking with him. I can tell you, if this guy lived in New York, I would be hanging out with him all the time. Guy sounds like a, a blast. So uh, Ty DeLorean, the son of legendary car designer John DeLorean and the designer of the new three-wheel DMC-21, joins me straight ahead. W-A-B-C. Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel, and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201-225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. side of midnight i'm frank morano you know if you look at the great minds and the great personalities of the 20th century i don't know that there's anybody more fascinating than john delorean um if you've ever seen the film back to the future you know his work he was a brilliant engineer an inventor an automotive executive the founder of the delorean motor company someone that uh, was involved in a number of scandals over the years he was many things but he was always interesting well i have to tell you one of the guys that is carving out a niche for himself as one of the most interesting men of the 21st century is Ty DeLorean. He is the son of legendary car designer John DeLorean and the designer of the new three-wheel DMC-21, which we're going to talk about in just a bit. Uh, Ty, thanks so much for joining us on the radio. Appreciate it. 
That's quite all right. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Thanks very much for inviting me. Now, where are we speaking to you from, uh, Ty? I'm in uh, Cornwall in uh, in the UK, um, southwest England. Wonderful, wonderful. We're on at a much more civilized time there than we are here. And it is true that they drive on the, the wrong side of the road over there. Well, that's uh, open for debate, but... Uh... <laughs> We like to keep our right hand free for uh, carrying a sword, I think. That's what it, what it, what it stems from. Uh, so, Ty, for people who might be a little younger or people whose memory might not be exactly, exactly up to snuff, give us the Reader's Digest version of who your father was. Who was John DeLorean? Um, well, basically, he was, in my opinion, one of the world's best innovators in history, uh, not only in a mechanical world of building cars but also in a um way of bringing people together what has never been seen before in northern ireland so he was legendary in many ways in my opinion and a lot of other people's as well so yeah every article about you uh, including the ones from the last over the last year or so they all describe you pretty much the same way as the alleged son of John DeLorean, the purported son of John DeLorean. Yeah. Why are there those that who claim you're not the son of John DeLorean? And what exactly was the nature of your relationship with your with your father? Uh, well, basically, uh, my mother had an affair with um, my father in Northern Ireland and on the result of that affair. And... Uh, she decided that it was in my best interest for it to be not revealed to the press or anything. And thankfully, I had quite a normal life because of that. But obviously, I didn't go through the same amount of uh, stuff that my uh, brother and sister went through. So, yeah. Was there ever a, a DNA test to see to confirm to the public that you that you are a, a, a biological DeLorean? Uh, there's never been that so far, but that has been agreed and arranged with my family, my sister in particular, and I've also had contact with my, my family, my brother over there and everything, so they're, they're acknowledging that. Obviously, it did happen, and it's just a matter of time before that test is carried out. Uh, did you Did you know your father? Did you have a relationship with him? Well, unfortunately, he wasn't allowed in this country, so that was kind of difficult. And obviously, growing up, it's it was just easier for 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 my mother to live a different life from the one he 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 sort of been embroiled with. So, it was did you ever meet really him? Easy. Um, I think um, I I travelled over there when I was quite young and met him. But I can't. I've got no recollection of it. I'm only going on what I've been told, basically, which is is not a lot. All right. Uh, if people just tune, we're talking with uh, Ty Delorean. So, when did you begin using that name? Obviously, if you were the product of an affair that John Delorean had with your mother, that wouldn't have necessarily been the name you were born with. When did you take on that moniker, moniker of Delorean? Um, as, as late 2019, early. Early 2020, just after I found out, really. Uh, uh, th- that that was my my next question. When did you find out the truth about your lineage? Uh, well, it was late late 2019. 
when when uh, I found out some information and put it to the people concerned, and that was confirmed to me what what was uh, you know the truth. So it is. It is interesting to me that you're in the car design business as well. The car that was most associated with your father, and now the last name that you use, was the DeLorean. I think most of us know it from the Back to the Future films. If people haven't seen the Back to the Future films, what was it that made the DeLorean so special and so unique as a vehicle? Um, It was the construction of the car. It was obviously the first stainless steel cladded car that had ever been existed. And really the whole design of the, the car trying to work a different path from the rest of the automotive industry in terms of something that would actually last rather than you throw it away at 100,000 miles. This car was designed to last 300,000 miles minimum. And it's a testament to that that most of them are still in existence today. So... That was the ethos behind the car. Uh, and uh, wh- by the way, were you a fan growing up of the Back to the Future films? Oh yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. I was a, I was a great fan, but for some reason, it was always uh, not really encouraged for me to watch them. You know, <laughs> if they ever came on, if they ever came on, it was not. The, the people left the room, and uh, it was a bit awkward. I can understand why. Strange. I can understand why now. It's interesting, you've developed a new three-wheel DeLorean-style car. It looks like the DeLorean's got those cool doors that open up. Um, This is called the DMC-21? That's correct, yeah. And so um, what's the story with this? When did you develop this? Did you have an idea of developing this car before you learned about your true lineage, or was this in some respect a result of learning about your lineage? Yeah, it's all intertwined, really, because I found some evidence, um, and that's when it all sort of came out. And in amongst in amongst that evidence was some uh, DeLorean plans uh, that my father had drawn and uh, showing, showing pictures of this car, which was obviously... Uh, envisage at the time and uh so i set about trying to recreate that and uh that's what that's what i did so it's not actually my design it was it's something of the time from the time if you know if you know what i mean but that would have been the collaboration between reliant and delorean would have been the collaboration that would have saved the factory but for various reasons which i'm more than happy to go into that didn't. That never happened. Well, so just uh, to be clear, this car, which uh, you're going to be selling very soon, the DMC twenty one, that is based yeah. on plans that your father actually drew up. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Well, maybe that's why it's uh, it's similar. Now, um, what's yeah. what's unique about this vehicle from the car from the photographs that I've seen online, including on your website is that it has three wheels. Why would it have three wheels rather than the four that most people are used to? Well, it's a base, It's sort of a hybrid between the Reliant Robin and, uh, and the, the, the DeLorean. So at the time, the Reliant factory uh, was one of the most successful British motor factories and... Uh, we were, they were selling a lot more three-wheel cars at the time. It was very profitable, very cheap. 
to produce and very fast to produce. So that would have been a quick and uh, easy way for the factory to get back on its feet. And, and incidentally, most of the workers in the DeLorean factory who trained the Northern Irish staff came from Reliant, including the management as well. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of links to the between the two. Well, that's uh, that's that's pretty interesting. The I have heard that the DeLorean Motor Company they're not exactly happy with what you're doing in trying to sell the DMC twenty one. Is that right? Oh yeah, they're uh, they're uh, absolutely fuming about it. Yeah, which is understandable because I think they know what's coming if it comes out. So it's more it's not about the sales of the car. It's more about the, the story of the corruption and. Uh, really getting to the bottom of what happened and who's actually to blame rather than my father who who took the can his whole his whole life for what was basically a government theft robbery so well there's always been a lot of theories involving your father uh, including that maybe he was uh, framed by the government as some sort of a, a cocaine dealer is that a, a theory that you subscribe to well it's not a theory it's a proven fact because he was acquitted in California on two counts, so he's proven not not guilty. But, you know, this isn't like people people have got these theories and oh, I think this and I think that. But the, you know, he's proven in a court of law that he was innocent. But people seem to forget that, and his career was destroyed because yeah. of that. You know, most yeah. sticks, if you like. What was the rationale for the government to do that? Why would they have wanted to destroy his reputation and frame him as a drug dealer? Because they didn't like his business model of producing cars that lasted. You know, that's not it's not financial. Um, it's, it's it wasn't financially viable as they saw it because that you know that. Their ethics and their their business model of how they like to create the world it didn't it didn't suit the, what he was trying to do basically it didn't suit the model of pure greed basically because the cars was, lasted so long because they lasted so long and uh, you know he was it was just and because of the, all the General Motors he was basically you know sticking it to the bosses of General Motors and just people don't like. When people try to innovate and do things which go against the grain of uh, traditional values, people just don't like it. And it was decided that he, he had to be stopped. And the British government were more than happy to collaborate with the United States government because Thatcher had her own vested interest to stop him as well. Because uh, Clive Sinclair was in her ear telling her that he wanted a factory rather than give the money to John DeLorean and obviously she didn't, she'd rather go with the British inventor than the American inventor but it's a travesty basically in, in, in the in the time frame of the automotive world global industry really it could have been so different and it's all government to blame you know? people are blaming my dad but it was, it was just a pawn basically caught in the middle of a government what is the status of the DMC-21 now? Are people, individuals, in this country or elsewhere, able to purchase a DMC-21? Well, I've received quite a few pre-orders of people, but obviously I'm reluctant to start um, shipping until this 
court case has been dealt with, which I believe is just a straightforward affair, isn't it? a very easy, straightforward win for me. So I'm waiting for that. But my main uh, interest really is from all the film directors that I've, that I've spoken to who want to purchase the car. That's my main focus is, and that's basically forms the basis of my counterclaim against Texas. So the fact that all these movie uh, directors want to purchase them, that's that's really the avenue that I'm pursuing. And so what's the status of the lawsuit right now? Um, well, it's been to and fro in, but now we've got a date on the 22nd of July. There's a court uh, trial in London, which I've got to attend. And uh, there's just a hard-line stance of uh, get it crushed and seized. Seize it and crush it. I think that's what their words uh, word is in the legal documents. Obliterate it. I think that's what they said. But uh, does can you see the DeLorean Motor Company's point if people are going to think the car that you're selling, the DMC-21, is a DeLorean, meanwhile it's not manufactured or sanctioned yeah. by the DeLorean Motor Company? Well... In my opinion, well, well, it's a fact that the the trademark is stolen property. You know, there's, there's been proven that government there was government corruption at the time, and therefore any action with the trademark after that, I consider it to be stolen goods. And there's also been two attempts by the rest of my family to retrieve this trademark from Texas because they obtained it unlawfully. It's not just like any normal trademark we're talking about, this has got deep and twisted turning history to this trademark, and it's my aim to expose that in court. So, in my opinion, anything they say is just null and void, you know, it's just completely not re- irrelevant. Uh, once, it, I've proven, once I've proven in court that they are not, not the rightful holders of the trademark, it really doesn't matter what they say, does it? They're just a parts company in Texas, which is what they were. It's a parts company in Texas that put up, started putting up DeLorean signs because no one else did. It it, uh, it was reported that the Taliban, the government in Afghanistan, was looking to purchase a whole bunch of your cars. Can you uh, can you fill us in on that? And what if any talks you've had with the Taliban? Yeah. Well, firstly, I'm unsure if these emails were legitimate because I've received. A lot of um, pranks and uh, things along the way, but they did. I did lead me to be after I did my due diligence and research. Did lead me to believe that they were genuine, but I'm still on the fence about that. I don't because there's been a lot of attempts by Texas to defame and uh, defraud my lawful business, including they've admitted to that on many occasions, and uh, it's. It could just be them doing a hoax, but I've only had two emails from the Taliban and uh, one confirming that, you know, something possibly could happen. And obviously the original email, since then I've heard nothing, so I'm, I'm you know, a loss to explain what's really going on there, you know. But maybe they will be back in touch after I win the lawsuit. I'm not sure, you know. Did I read that uh, some of your detractors actually tried to to egg you or egg your production facility or maybe your home? What happened there? 
Yeah, I've received an immense amount of hate online, and uh, basically it stemmed from Texas setting up various social media accounts to try and uh, drag me down. And uh, from that, you know, a lot of people were angered, obviously, because it's it's something close to a lot of people's hearts. And um, yeah, the, the yeah, I got the. Uh, house uh, broken into and, and trashed and uh, cars set on fire. But they won't stop me, so I'm wasting their time, really. Mm. Well, it's going to be very interesting. If people do want to get on the wait list to pre-order one of these DMC-21 vehicles, um, are, yeah. are, how much are they? Are you planning on uh, on selling them for, and what's the best way for folks to get on the wait list? Um, well, I've got my website, and uh, just contact me through Instagram's a good way, or um, there's, I've got the, there's an email address on the website, to, and uh, yeah, just I've got on a, a, um, a pre-order list, so yeah, just do that. I mean, there's no end to the amount of these that I can produce, because obviously the base model that I'm using, there's literally thousands of them over in the UK. There was more of these made than a lot of other cars. And obviously they last a long time because they're fiberglass, which is the same as the original DeLorean car. Wow. Because a lot of people think the DeLorean was stainless steel, but it it wasn't really. It was actually a fiberglass car with thin stainless steel cladding put on the top of it, which is why they used the expertise from Reliant. And the management Barry Wills came from Reliant to work in my father's factory. So... Well, that is really uh, neat. I, I think your story is very fascinating. If people want to check out your website, they can go to dmc21.co.uk. You can see photos of the vehicle. Uh, wishing you the best of luck, Ty. And uh, I, one day I hope to drive one of these. It looks like a really cool cool car. Oh, yeah, they're great fun. And they they, they do 100 miles an hour. So they're uh, more, more than capable of getting up to 88. <laughs> Maybe not in New York City traffic, but I can imagine they are indeed. Ty DeLorean, thank you very much. I thank you very much, Big B. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers indeed. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you could give me a call, 1 800 848 9222. That's 1 800 848 WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight, straight ahead. WABC. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC.
That, of course, is Huey Lewis and the News, uh, the band that made uh, that film, Back to the Future, really complete. I, I love the Back to the Future film. I heard it's going to be a, uh, a Broadway musical soon, too. So that'll be all the easier to do if uh, that, uh, that DMC-21 is able to come to fruition. Matt, what's your take? You buy that he's um, John DeLorean's son? No. No. Well, you're, you're very cynical. You're yeah. a cynical guy. No, nah, I, don't, I don't buy it. You don't buy it. Ryan, no. you, you have a take? I think it might have some credibility. I don't know. Okay. All I right. mean, I've seen the car, and it, it looks okay. You know, I think it's a good car. That's a, a ringing endorsement if I've ever heard one. Hey, um, so we've been talking a lot about this Russia-Ukraine situation. Here's some news out of Russia that has nothing to do with the war. Listen to me very carefully. M-D-Z-H-B. Okay. This is a radio station, a shortwave radio station, and it's been described by the BBC, by The Guardian, by The Telegraph, by um, news sources all over the world, especially the British media, as the ghostly radio station that no one claims to run. In the middle of a Russian swampland, not far from the city of St. Petersburg, There's a rectangular iron gate. Behind its rusted bars is a collection of radio towers, abandoned buildings, and power lines bordered by a dry stone wall. The sinister location, as it's been described by many people, is the focus of a mystery which stretches back to the height of the Cold War. It's thought to be the headquarters of a radio station, MDZHB, that no one has ever claimed to run. 24 hours a day seven days a week for the last four decades, it has been broadcasting a dull, monotonous tone that sounds like this. Every few seconds, it's joined, as you could hear, by a second sound, like some ghostly ship sounding its foghorn. Then the drone continues. Once or twice a week, a man or woman will read out some words in Russian, such as dingy or farming specialist, and that's it. Anyone, anywhere in the world, and this is how we got this audio, anyone, anywhere in the world can listen in. Simply by tuning a radio to the frequency 4625 KHZ. It's, it's been described by, I think it was the BBC, it's so enigmatic, it's as if it was designed with conspiracy theorists in mind. Today, the station has developed a whole online following, numbering in the tens of thousands, people who know it affectionately as The Buzzer. It joins two similar mystery radio stations, The Pip, and the squeaky wheel, as their fans readily admit themselves, they have absolutely no idea what they're listening to. No one does. Uh, There is absolutely no information on the signal. That's according to David Stupples, who's an expert in signals intelligence from uh, City University in London. So what's going on here is the frequency is thought to belong to the Russian military, though they've never actually admitted this. It first began broadcasting at the close of the Cold War, I think back in 1982, when communism was on the decline. 
Today, it's transmitted from two locations, the St. Petersburg site and a location near Moscow. Bizarrely, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, rather than shutting down, the station's activity increased. So there's no shortage of theories to explain what this station, they call it the buzzer, might be for, ranging from keeping in touch with submarines to communing with aliens. This is all the theories that are out there. One such idea is that it's acting as a dead hand signal. In the event Russia's hit by a nuclear attack, the drone will stop and automatically trigger a retaliation. No questions asked, just total nuclear obliteration on both sides. That's one of the theories that out, that's out there. That might not be as wacky as it sounds. The system was originally pioneered in the Soviet era, where it took the form of a computer system which scanned the airways for signs of life or nuclear fallout. Alarmingly, a lot of experts believe it may still be in use. As Putin himself pointed out earlier uh, this year, nobody would survive a nuclear war between Russia and the United States. Could the buzzer be warding one off? So there are some clues in the signal itself. Like all international radio, the buzzer operates at a relatively low frequency known as shortwave. That means that compared to local radio, mobile phone, or TV signals, Fewer waves pass through a single point every second. It also means they can travel a lot faster. Keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Everyone, this is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Yesterday was primary in a primary day in a couple of states, including New York State. We now know the general election matchup for governor. There's also a host of other legal, political, and policy issues that we're going to tackle this hour and other issues in the news. And I can't think of three people with more expertise that are better suited uh, to do it. I want to welcome first Dr. Frank Sorrentino. He is an award-winning political science professor, has been on the <laughs> faculty of uh, a number of universities and been the mentor to a number of prominent folks, including one of my my favorite state Supreme Court justices, Ron Castorina. He's also the author of several books, including Presidential Power and the American Political System. Dr. Sorrentino, it's good to see you. It's great to be with you. Well, try that again one more time. It's great to be with you. We don't want anybody not hearing you saying it's great to be with me. <laughs> uh, and somebody that's Do no, I have to say that too? <laughs> somebody that's no stranger to controversy or this radio program is Andrew McKenna, former federal prosecutor and former federal prisoner, also the uh, deputy director of the National Council on Alcoholism and Drug Dependence, and the author of a terrific book called Sheer Madness. Andrew, it's great to see you again, my great friend. Great to see you, Frank. Thank you. And uh, Andrew, in his political hat, was also uh, formally on the executive committee of the Reform Party and on the state committee of the SAM Party, and still with us, sticking around with us, getting it, we're getting his, our money's worth out of him, is E. O'Brien Murray, a veteran political consultant and crisis communications strategist. You're getting what you're paying for, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Sorrentino, let me begin with you. Uh, the results in yesterday's primary governor, lieutenant governor, state assembly, any trends that you think we can divine from this? Any major surprises from where you're standing? No, uh, not in New York State. I think uh, Lee Zeldin is uh, the organizational candidate of the Republican uh, Party. He was so much better funded 
uh, then uh, I think the surprise is Andrew Giuliani doing as well as he did. Uh, basically, I would say without any experience and without any political know-how except from his father, perhaps, in the name recognition. So I was uh, somewhat surprised. I thought Astorino would do better. Hmm. Uh, and, well, and so the way the map shapes out, it looks like uh, Andrew Giuliani won the five boroughs of New York City. It looks like Rob Astorino won Westchester in the northern suburbs. It looks like Harry Wilson won a few counties upstate. And the rest of the state was just a, a wave for Lee Zeldin. He won western New York, upstate, uh, downstate, certainly Long Island. Here, speaking of Andrew Giuliani, here's a little bit of his concession speech from last night in which he pledged himself to... Uh, do whatever he can to help elect the fellow that just beat him, Lee Zeldin. New York truly is at a crossroads, ladies and gentlemen. We're at a time right now where we lead the country in out-migration. We know that. We all know the problems. And we know the solutions. We need somebody with the guts that's going to be able to turn that around. Somebody who's going to be able to bring crime down. Somebody that's going to give Alvin Bragg that pink slip that he needs on day one of his administration. Uh, Andrew McKenna, you think Andrew Giuliani has a political future after this? What's your take? Well, I think he's a pretty savvy guy. Um, and as, as Frank Sorrentino said, I can't believe I'm sitting at a table with Frank Sorrentino. We we're just in the green room. I didn't know your last <laughs> name was Sorrentino. And this guy's a, a rock star. But uh, no, I, I think he does. I think he has good energy. And I was surprised to see him get nearly 100,000. Um Compared to Zeldin's, what, 140,000 votes or whatever it was? Is that correct? Yeah, ballpark. 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 Yeah. And, um, yeah, I think he does. I, you know, he's got the right name, and depending on which circles you're in, so yes. Uh, Obi, uh, Dr. Sorrentino alluded to the issue of, of money, which benefited Zeldin. guy that spent a ton of money and finished last out of the four Republicans is Harry Wilson. Um, what was it about Wilson's campaign that uh, didn't seem to resonate? Unlike a lot of candidates, he really can't blame lack of resources for well, failure to it, get his know, message it, out. Let's look at the money. Where was it spent? It was spent against Lee, so that, that was trying to bring Lee's numbers down. It actually helped. If you look at the numbers, it's 44 they did, nobody had Lee at 44. If you had Lee at 44, they, could, they can work with you because they can teach everything. I mean, I mean, who had Lee at 44? Did anybody come to the show before tonight? I don't think so. No, it wasn't there. So the 44 outperformed across the board, I think, for that point. Andrew's got a future in TV and, and him coming second. I've always thought he was a flat – whatever his number it was because he had no money to go up or down with at that point. Harry spent his money against Lee. It didn't work. And every dollar – Lee should write a check to Harry for part of that money. As a thank you, and with a big note, <laughs> thank you for all the name ID across this state. The governor should be worried about that because every dollar that was spent against Lee helps him in the general. Right. Let, let me You're ask you guys a because it portrayed him as a moderate. No, close to Cuomo. Right. Too at the same time. Right. Like, like it was. A, it was like that. that he voted against. He, he wasn't just a hard, hardened Republican. Right. It was at the time when Cuomo was good. For the state, as far as people are concerned, upstate, Cuomo's numbers bear that out. That's where Lee was with Cuomo. Mm-hmm. Compared to you guys, I'm a novice in this particular area. That's the one to watch out for. <laughs> I know. So uh, does Zeldin have a chance? Yeah, well, that's the next question I was going to ask. How do you guys handicap the general? I'll begin with you, Dr. Well, Sorrentino. Well, one of the problems that Zeldin has is a lot of the population of New York has left. Not, you know, we're not talking millions and millions, but in a close election, and I think it could be a close election, in terms of crime, in terms of taxes, 
in terms of the management of the state, I think there is a case that can be made against uh, Governor Hochul uh, and the legacy of Andrew Cuomo. But he may be missing a couple hundred thousand votes, and uh, that could be significant. Uh, That is interesting. By the way, if people have questions for our illustrious panel on either legal issues, political issues, or policy issues, now's the time. 800-848-WABC. Obi, what about what Dr. Sorrentino brings up, that the kind of voter that would have voted for a Republican has moved out of the state, maybe to places like Florida or the Carolinas or Arizona. I don't think Any truth to that? Doesn't no. matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. How do you get near 30% in New York City as a Republican? You and I talked about this mm-hmm. when I was there, when I was down in South Carolina in October, after one of the debates, one of Curtis's right. debates, I think. Um, he didn't do 30, and you remember you and I? Yeah, he, I, did, we were he talking, did 27 and a half. It ain't 30, baby. Yeah, you had him at <laughs> around 20. And he didn't have the conservative line. No, but no, the, but him plus conservative didn't even get you there. And the numbers, it, take where he got his votes from, put that out in a general election in, in a even number, even number here, of course, but not the presidential election. Where are those numbers going to come from Democrats, too? So his numbers was at a ceiling for number of votes, but Nicole didn't get it. And she ran against an incumbent that people didn't like. And, and here you're trying to do the same thing against Governor Hochul, who if they're trying to make the case against her, what do they like about her? So before we even talk about upstate, tell me how near if, – if, if you got – it's all numbers and where it bounces out. If you had 70 percent upstate and you got 20 in New York City, you're still gone. So it doesn't matter. It's all pluralities. And the other issue I think if you ever look at this is <clears throat> the governor upstate, if you are a re- white Republican Buffalo Bills fan, you're voting for her. Mm, that right. whole Erie County area and George Pataki, I worked for I worked for the state committee in ninety four in ninety three ninety four. So I had Rudy's campaign here in the city. Uh, uh, Pataki's the next year up, up at the state committee at Albany. Bill Powers, fantastic state chairman at this point. Uh, looking at history there and. Erie County, Tom Reynolds that night said to George Pataki, you won. It was like with Bob Turner when, when Dove, Dove Hiken came into the, the office with, with Ed Koch there and Pete King and said, Obi, you won. I said, I look at Bob. He goes, how do you know? He goes, you got, Bob Turner got more votes in Dove's home district than Dove. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and no. from that point on, I turned to Mayor Koch and said, you want to go on stage and do this thing? And it was a turnout. It was a local turnout. Like New York City, how do you get those voters and if Lee can't get – and again, it's a near 30. It's always – it could be 27, 28, 29. But statewide, they never do it because to get the message upstate, you turn off New York City voters. Right. And you have to figure out how you do that. It's plurality. And then so Lee's got Nassau and Suffolk set up. If I was Lee, good night, honey. Take care of kids. Tuck them in. Come see me. I will never be back in Long Island between now and the election. So it's got to be the it's got to be the crime issue then, right? That's the only way he's going to overcome no. Hogel. No, because or, crime, New York City crime issue when you go too far as Republican New York City, you have the issue then about the jails, and then you got the the independence. It it, it becomes a slippery slope then mm-hmm. too because you've got bail reform which gets you the independent issue, and then if you're against bail reform, what happened? Yes, it, bail reform was a mess the way it was done, but it, it is slippery slope because <clears throat> it's not just crime. It is the coronavirus, and it is the the communities. And I, when I was worked for Michelle, we were I was out in in Queens, in Elmhurst. We were in line with men and women, look waiting for food in the food pantries, and they were concerned about getting their jobs back. But now they're worried about their health and the side effects of Corona. I mean, all these things. I mean, so it sounds like you uh, need that. The Republicans have to get in those communities. In the the Latino vote is up for grabs, up for grabs. I'm not sure that Lee and the party right now have a plan to do that. That gets you there. Well, I think there's – we have to realize that Kathy Hochul's not a bad politician. 
She knows how to co-op large numbers of mm-hmm. voters. Uh, you mentioned Erie County with the with the stadium. I mean, it's hard to justify spending six hundred million dollars mm. to build a stadium for the for the for the Buffalo team. But she does that. She also co-opted the state unions. Uh, it used to be upstate New York. You had jails. You had colleges. You had mental health institutions. Uh, there's where the jobs are, and those unions tend to be very pro-Democrat. Now, they may be open on the crime issue. They may be open on the schools issues. But I think uh, when you see the amount of money she's going to have from Wall Street, from the uh, from the unions, I think she's going to be a very difficult candidate to beat. But, but yeah, also, I mean, state, I think that's the consensus. The Hudson right? Valley, though, who's from the Hudson Valley? Delgado. So as Republicans are in the Hudson Valley, what is he going to push the numbers up or down for? And it's plurality. Mm. As a Republican, I said 30. You out, you're at Nassau and Suffolk. You have to get in your 60 percent. The plurality to make up the loss in New York. Hudson Valley, the same. You go further north, get maybe 55 in the Hudson Valley type thing they talk about. You go north, you got to get even higher. Because it's a plurality. As you said, there's fewer people there. That's running the table up there. And crime is a major issue, no question about it. But it's got to be more than just the solutions. What do you do? Nuanced, right? And, and don't forget, Curtis did great in the Asian communities. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a, a great community. And they turn out. And the Latinos turn out. But it's got to be enough in the city for the Republicans to grab to get that plurality down. It's going to be interesting. One of the things that I see potentially hurting uh, Zeldin a great deal um, this year that wouldn't have been the case had he run four years ago is the uh, the abortion issue with the decision by the uh, Supreme mm-hmm. Court in the Dobbs case to sort of kick uh, the abortion issue to the states. You have a lot of uh, pro-choice voters in New York that may be a little reluctant to elect a, a pro-life conservative a, as governor. Uh, Andrew, as a uh, former prosecutor and a former attorney yourself, any any insight on, on in terms of either the legal rationale behind Justice Alito's decision or the political ramifications as you see it? The problem with Roe was it was a terrible legal decision. It wasn't based on anything in the Constitution or in this country's history uh, or in England's history, for that matter. It was made up law, basically, and it they it was judges legislating is what it was. So I was surprised that it, it lasted as long as it did. And I'm pro-choice, okay? So I'm not making the arguments either way. I'm just saying it was a terrible opinion, and it was easy for Alito to slice that up. And, and, you know, and bring everybody with him. Um, so he bring Chief Justice. No, but that's Roberts. I mean, he's not, you know, look <laughs> what he did with Obamacare, right? Uh, so it's. Uh, he did it with Sarbanes-Oxley before that. It was a case I brought up before the Supreme Court. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Do, well, what do you see happening, uh, Dr. Sorrentino, on the political ramifications of this now that it is a state issue? Well, I think, it again, it's not going to favor uh, the Republicans in New York State. It could favor Republicans nationwide, but in New York State, it's a very, very pro-choice uh, state. And what you might get, even though it might be through distortions, people think that abortion itself is in jeopardy. So they're going to be able to raise a lot of money. They're going to be able to intensify their vote and have a larger voter turnout. And I think that could hurt not only Zeldin, but it could hurt. Uh, Republican mm. candidates uh, for Congress in New York State. Uh, oh, realize, oh, what's your take? I just pulled up some numbers here now. Just, 
um, these numbers don't lie. Cynthia Nixon, four years ago, how many votes do you think she got? In the primary, I primary. guess uh, she would have gotten, I'm going to guess, uh, uh, 200,000. 537. Really? Wow. What did Hochul get tonight? Uh, 574. Wow. That that's would be a, a scary number to me. So that's how much bigger the turnout was for governor four years ago than today. Well, again, it was September. People knew right. about it, all these things. But we just had a month ago the Supreme Court case, the, the decision leaked, motivating factor. You had the the the, the uh, Second Amendment uh, decision this week. You had the abortion issue this week, and you had a chance to vocalize it today or yesterday, Tuesday. And a lot of freedom religion, freedom of religion uh, decisions. Coming but the down. Democrats didn't. Sh- I, I'm just. I, I'm not. I'm looking at it live on. You just saw me with the, the, the computer. They didn't show up. Eight hundred sixty-three thousand voters showed up in the Democratic primary four years ago. No early voters. So uh, you, four years ago, absentee ballot. Yeah. So you think that lack of enthusiasm on the part of Democratic primary voters could inure to Zeldin? I think that's a the benefit to Zeldin. All interesting. Long that, right now. That's interesting. And yeah. also, don't forget, Zeldin has the benefit now too of working between now and August on a primary with other people's money. How many general? Po- no. Congressional primary. Oh, I see. Okay. You have a gotcha. primary upstate. You have uh, one, two. You got New York one, right? Yeah. All these he, how many of these guys are going to campaign with Lee? He's uh-huh. the Republican. They'll right. Everybody him, will. Sure. That's he'll right. Get the, he'll just keep that going. That's too. interesting. But uh, you also have a situation called like the issue du jour. Right now, it's hot. Uh, two months from now, a lot of people may not feel with the same intensity that they did uh, in this uh, this past week. So the problem uh, that the Democrats are going to face is that can they sustain uh, this uh, popularity that people fear the end of abortion? They want to be pro-choice. All of that's working for them. But, you know, November is still a long time away and things can change. The gun laws, I think, are also significant. Uh, But again, We've always known, you know, gun control, when you ask on polls, they poll very well. But people don't tend to vote highly on gun control except for the people who favor guns. Mm. When you talk about polling very well, you mean do you vote on the issue? Do you, when you ask what are the most important issues, it comes to the top. What are you talking about there, sir? Well, the, the idea is that right now abortion's hot. Right now gun control's hot. Mm-hmm. You know, after Uvalde, it also is hot. But those things tend to fade a little bit. Now, will they be able to sustain that level of interest, that level of voter intensity? I'm not sure because it hasn't worked always in now, the past. And there's a disparity here because the polls show 55 to 60 percent of Americans didn't want Roe touched. But they, you're saying and I have to think OB's, that's a much higher number in New York, too. Right, and I would agree. Right, and I agree with that. But Obi, you're saying they didn't turn out. I just, I'm just looking at numbers. Yeah, numbers. You're, you talk about polls. Yeah, but Doctor Sorrentino's right. I mean, it's, if this fizzles out, and I believe the gun control piece will fizzle out, and I think they found some some reasonable middle ground recently in Congress. But will abortion fizzle out between now and November? It's yeah. going to be interesting. We'll take a quick break. Uh, we'll try and squeeze in some of your calls when we return. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Andrew McKenna is here. Dr. Frank Sorrentino he is here. And E. O'Brien Murray is here. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. WABC. It's The 
Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano, uh, joined in studio by three members of our illustrious Midnight panel. Distinguished political science professor, Dr. Frank Sorrentino, the author of the book Presidential Power and the American Political System. Uh, distinguished former prosecutor and former federal prisoner, Andrew McKenna, the author of the book Sheer Madness. And uh, distinguished veteran political consultant and crisis communication strategist, E. O'Brien Murray. Uh, by the way, I do want to, uh, I do want to play for you a clip of Al D'Amato on the uh, John Katsimatidis show on Friday, or maybe it was Thursday of last week. This deals a lot, a little bit more about where the national Republican Party is. And this is uh, Senator D'Amato saying that the guy to deliver the GOP back to the White House in 2024 isn't Donald Trump, but it's another guy that's been getting a lot of attention. This is Senator D'Amato from Thursday's edition of the Cats at Night show. Listen to what he said, and then I want to get you guys to comment on this. Let me say this to you. And Ron DeSantis should be our next candidate for president, okay? We need him in Florida. Get your time. Get your ego. Well, he'll never get his ego under control. He's not going to be able to win. All he can do is cause disruption in the Republican Party. All he cares about is himself. Enough is enough is enough. You had your turn. You blew it. You could have won the election. But you listened to a bunch of idiots. You sent uh, 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 Giuliani to the Ukraine. You talked to the president on the phone. You allowed all you had to do is show Joe Biden in front of the uh, very famous a committee in New York bragging, bragging about how he blackmailed the Ukraine, how he got them to stop the investigation of his son's company when he said, unless you, within the next six hours, fire that prosecutor, the prosecutor in Ukraine who was going after Biden's company, his son's company, I'm going back and you're going to lose the billion dollars. And then he laughs. And he says, ha, 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 guess what? They dropped it. So there was the campaign right there. Not to send Giuliani and a bunch of criminals over to the Ukraine and create this whole thing about yourself. What a jackass. He ran a terrible campaign, and he, and he has himself and the idiots that he listened to to blame. Uh, Al D'Amato there holding back uh, nothing in terms of criticizing not only President Trump or Mayor Giuliani. Certainly no love lost there between Mayor Giuliani and Al D'Amato. What about his broader point, though, that the future of the GOP is not Donald Trump, who's seen as a rock star with a lot of the base, but is, in fact, Ron DeSantis, who's also very popular, who's up for reelection this year. Uh, Dr. Sorrentino, what do you yeah, think? Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of truth to that in the sense that uh, – Donald Trump does very well with hardcore Republicans. He does less well with independents and very little with Democrats. Now, there are some Democrats who are actual conservatives, but uh, DeSantis doesn't have the baggage that uh, Trump has. And I think uh, we have a concerted media effect and 
the Democratic Party in Congress uh, has made a, a very strong effort to delegitimize Trump, delegitimize him as a human being, as a character who has the integrity for for the presidency. Now, they'll attack DeSantis if he were to get the nomination, but the Trump has a head start, and he may not be the most effective candidate for the Republican Party. Obi, what do you think about D'Amato's comments there? Alphonse, brilliant man, who loves to share all his thoughts. And, he, and you notice he's he an expert on everything. And he didn't hold back. But I, I, I'm just saying there are things that anybody around everybody will say and not say and so forth. <clears throat> and he decided to share everything he thought. And Alphonse shared it. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's, I, I can't sit there and say right, wrong, and different at this point. Different thing. It's, it's his thoughts of where he stands. And that changes quite a bit because DeSantis, he's saying today, and what if somebody else rises? We've, we've had Nikki Haley's name out there. You've got Pompeo's name out there. You've got a number of others out there at one time or another. If you look what happened with Russia, I mean, at, at CPAC, there was an issue about what Pompeo had said about Russia before. I mean, all, and then the split from, from President Trump and so forth. And you don't know what's going to come out of these hearings, too. Who gets what attached to them and the president could be good or bad among the party faithful, among the moderates, among the independents, Democrats, and where that goes, too. Did somebody defend the president and, and have to pay a price for it? Did somebody not defend the president and pay a price for it? Right. And then how long they can keep that alive up until 2024, right? But can DeSantis unite the party? Is he moderate enough to bring in some of the Trumpsters and some of the more center-leaning The, the, the word that you hear quite a bit on DeSantis, not politically but operationally, is almost uh, Harris, Vice President Harris problem with the staff. Mm. Uh, the number of chief of staffs he's had, the number of top staff and so forth, which is indicative often about an operation, which I've always found uh, that you want to have enough leadership that you have strength and freshness and new ideas and you're not just sycophants around somebody. And I get a lot of credit or a lot of blame for cult the way I see it in the room. But outside, you got to be in line. Yeah. Uh, the question becomes, how does how do you run something when you keep on having new people at the top and they disappear you right. It looks like, like a lack of leadership from DeSantis is what. But if you dealt with me as a chief of staff and then you dealt with Frank, as chief, like I'm gone. You have no connection to everybody. For well, I've worked at radio stations where that's well, the case, where they go through <laughs> staff. But when you're talking about a two or three, four year campaign, you've got a supporter that's going to throw a fundraiser or do something or an issue thing and you disappear. And then they got to start a new relationship. And they're like, I'm not going to do it then. And how many how much money disappears that way for fundraising? How much? How many union organizations disappear because they can't keep on dealing with the same staffer? But wouldn't that same issue backfire on Trump? Look at during his presidency, how many, you know, uh, Department of Defense chiefs that he fired or. The thing, uh, I was at Trump Tower in December. December 2013. I was there with you. OK. Yeah. <laughs> it was thir- no, it was, it was 13. Yeah, I was there. December and, 13. And, and, you know, it's, it's indicative of that tonight with Rob Astorino. But if you recall. There was a chairwoman from Yates County, mm-hmm. small county, but a loud voice. And she said, I haven't heard from Rob. Rob Astorino was running for governor. It was already December. It was November. He had won. He was going to run. I haven't heard. He said, there's 62 phone calls to make. Leave a voicemail. You do that in a half a day, tops. Rob hadn't done that. And she, she spoke out. And President Trump sat there listening. And that his abortion conversations, his Second Amendment conversations, those weren't we here today. 
He is, but he was with the people and speaking. But so, where does that relate to the presidential be, 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 race? No, because Trump is himself talking to those I people versus a DeSantis, and you've got chief of staff, and, and he is one of the very few people I've seen in politics that maintains that direct relationship with all those people. So, uh, so does DeSantis then have an optics problem versus where Trump doesn't because Trump's himself? It's an operational problem because you don't see it, you hear it, and if. I can't get the schedule. I can't get the fundraiser. It just you have to have a continuity of leadership, not just from the candidate, but messaging and so forth. If you're picking a front runner, though, among the Republican side, is it still is it still Donald Trump or is it Ron DeSantis? Well, I, I think it's going to be a real problem if uh, Donald Trump wants the nomination. I think it's going to be very hard to deny him the nomination. The question then becomes, can he win? Uh, maybe. But there's a. I think a better chance that DeSantis could win, but he could, DeSantis could only get the nomination if Trump defers and decides not to run. And here you have uh, political uh, egos at stake. And from Trump's point of view, it's hard to see him not wanting it. And if he wants it, it's going to be very difficult to deny him in the Republican Party. I'd have to agree with him. Yeah. Well, let me ask you where what we saw yesterday plays into that. There was another edition of the January 6th uh, committee hearing. Uh, this one was I mean, look, they've all been kind of da- damning to President Trump because there's not really a, a pro-Trump voice on the committee or uh, pr- presenting evidence. But yesterday we heard from Cassidy Hutchinson, who was an aide to Mark Meadows, President Trump's former chief of staff, and she described a scene in which President Trump uh, wanted to go to the Capitol and a Secret Service agent wasn't wasn't driving to the Capitol. And this is what uh, Cassidy Hutchinson claimed she saw regarding President Trump and President Trump, for his perspective, he's denied this. The president said something to the effect of, I'm the effing president, take me up to the Capitol now. To which Bobby responded, sir, we have to go back to the West Wing. The president reached up towards the front of the vehicle to grab at the steering wheel. Mr. Engel grabbed his arm, said, sir, you need to take your hand off the steering wheel. We're going back to the West Wing. We're not going to the Capitol. Mr. Trump then used his free hand to lunge towards Bobby Engel. So uh, she then also claimed that uh, the president was okay with People that were armed coming into the area because, as she quoted President Trump, they weren't here to hurt him. And again, Trump uh, himself uh, posted on his social media network, Truth Social, that what she said was completely inaccurate. But this is someone that worked in the White House. You could see the Oval Office from where her office was. Not a Democrat, not a never Trump Republican. This is a senior aide to Mark Meadows, a young woman who uh, whose credibility was vouched for by President Trump's other former chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney. Uh, Dr. Sorrentino, you're the author of the book on presidential power. What damage to President Trump's long-term political prospects and his legacy are these hearings doing? Well, uh, it's certainly creating a a damning narrative. The problem is that we have 2,000 years of Roman, British, American jurisprudence, and we're saying that hearsay evidence is going to be valid and we're going to listen to it. Now, having said that, that doesn't mean it doesn't resonate and doesn't have an impact. But I think, uh, you know, she didn't see this actions. Did you hear President Trump's answer to that? 
He, he, he said those words himself. I, it wasn't a statement. It was him, his words, if I'm not mistaken, that he said these, which goes back to what we said before about DeSantis, Governor DeSantis as president. The old story in politics was, you know, when you're saying something, let your staff say it as quotes by spokesperson and so forth. So going back to the 2016, because it would be 15, New Hampshire primary time frame, when it was a question about Trump, President Trump being, candidate Trump then, being pro-choice or pro-life. And there was an ad running. I think he spent about a million-dollar budget on an ad saying he was pro-choice, and they had proof of it and back of it. And there was questions about party registration, little things like that. He issued a tweet. A million dollars evaporated. Just like that, there was no – it was almost worse, better than Teflon. It just disappeared. They wasted their money. Today, he said that she wanted to come work for him in Mar-a-Lago, mm-hmm. and he turned her down. Now, that changed the whole dif- discussion mm-hmm. on who somebody is saying this. Now, Secret Service can't come speak. We respect that. But I've also – everything I've known about Secret Service in the past, and I've never been in the way – I don't do administrations. I can't stand that kind of bureaucracy. I'm not going to be me. But don't – they always say that the president can tell them basically where to go unless there's a threat to their life or something of that sort. They can't go. I mean, he, we want to stop you, like, especially unplanned stuff. And there's, there's certain latitudes for them to tell the president not to go. They, she did not she did not say why. And if they said, Mr. President, you can't go. Your life is at risk. Wouldn't she have heard or said that from that same thing? And then she would have said yeah, those words. Yeah. And apparently before I get you to weigh in, Andrew, <clears throat> apparently the Secret Service says it is willing to testify about the, the bombshell allegations made by uh, Cassidy Hutchinson. The agency said it's willing to respond on the record to the House January 6th Select Committee about the allegations uh, during this uh, last minute hearing. You heard what uh, Hutchinson said there. Trump responded to the allegations calling Hutchinson's testimony, quote, sick and fraudulent. So we'll see what the Secret Service has to say about this. So it sounds like you think, Obi, that ultimately the political effect of this is de minimis. It's interesting. I think people asked me about this before, to this on record. But basically the question is what the Democrats are trying to achieve here. Are we talking about investigations and see where it goes? Are they looking at trying to make sure the public pays attention? Because if you look at the polls, I think Stephanopoulos quoted a poll on his show, and it was very minimal numbers, almost single digits of people paying attention. Repetition gets people to pay attention and so forth. So where is this going, and is this going to then injure the president in such a way that he can't run, which then hurts the Democrats? I mean if they want him up there to run and then hurt the Republicans, they're hurting themselves. Or are they going to try to invigorate him and want to be the guy that runs to clear whatever name, record, or attacks there are? I, just which which way is that going to go? Mm. And, and Republicans, Democrats, anybody, he's a real estate guy. He needs an exit strategy. You buy the building across the street, you're going to refinance. You're going to sell it. You're going to renovate it. Give the man an exit strategy, and then you can figure out where he might get for the offering. Uh, Andrew, uh, no shortage of legal issues the Trump team has to deal with. You have his issues here in New York State where the attorney general's office is going after him. You have his issues in Georgia where they're going after him down there. You have the supposed conspiracy to name false slates of electors. And then you have uh, the, you know, what exactly happened on uh, January 6th. Do you think this all kind of snowballs to a point that makes uh, Trump uh, unable to run or, or unwilling to run in 2024? Or do you think he's going no matter what? No, I think he's going no matter what. And two two points. If he can spin, first of all, whether that with that woman with that wonderful voice, by the way, what she said uh, is true or not, it doesn't matter. If he can spin this as it's Trump being the cowboy, that's exactly what his base loves. And and he's not going to lose anything over that. 
with his legal troubles, I can't imagine what his legal bills are. Uh, those are going to be challenges up until the day of the election. I don't think it's going to stop him from running or stop him from doing well. How is this different than Vice President Pence not getting in the car and leaving the Capitol and the president wanting to go to the Capitol? Mm-hmm. I mean, there you had, vice president's life was at risk that they basically they ran that they 40 feet away. They, they announced now and the vice president would not get in the vehicle and leave because he didn't want to be seen leaving. I didn't hear about the Secret Service throwing him in the vehicle and driving away. I think they're going to leave Pence alone for the most part because he you know certified the vote. And I think that mm-hmm. they're just going to continue to pound Trump. But I, I don't think it's going to I, I was speaking for the Secret Service and not against it. But oh. the fact that the, the testimony today didn't address why and where, and if the vice president's going to stay at the Capitol and not leave, right. if, even if though he the, can disregard the, the council said, we have to of leave. the Secret Service, and he why said can't no. Donald Trump? But, right, that but, makes but sense. This is the problem when you don't have a due process on a congressional committee. Uh, you don't have people questioning her. You don't have Trump being able to bring his own witnesses, uh, putting no forth other... No cross-examination. No cross-examination. And so... But the problem is, I mean, we could see analogies. I mean, what happened to Andrew Cuomo? I mean, Letitia James did a a Star Chamber report. I mean, it may be true, it may not be true, but uh, the hound of governor, and I'm not necessarily saying I'm a fan of Andrew Cuomo, but that's not how you get rid of a governor. Well, it clearly worked. It worked. In this it worked. Case, it worked. <laughs> it, whether oh, it should be or political, not. Yeah. Uh, before we leave the uh, the the presidential area, I want to ask you about uh, John Hinckley Jr., who's on something of a a redemption tour. He's got a YouTube channel. He's on Twitter, which even Donald Trump is banned from now. He's uh, a musician. He had a sold out show in Brooklyn, which before the venue ultimately canceled it. And yesterday morning, he did his very first TV interview since being uh, cleared of all his restrictions. Restrictions after trying to assassinate President Reagan 41 years ago. This was uh, John Hinckley Jr. on uh, CBS News this mo- yesterday morning. I went to the, the Washington Hilton Hotel, and he came out from giving a speech, and I was right there, and I fired shots at him, which so unfortunately hit other people, too. Do you have any recollection of that feeling at that moment? No. None. I don't. It's such it's such another lifetime ago. I can't tell you now the emotion I had, you know, right as he came walking out. I just can't tell you that. Mostly that is something you can't remember. Right. Because you don't want to remember it. Maybe, maybe. But you're right. It's something that I, did, I don't want to remember. Where's the remorse? It was all just so traumatic. Uh, your reaction, uh, OB, on the... I'm appalled. On the Hinkley Redemption the tour. I, I, I mean, mentally mental illness is real, and that's exactly what it was in his case. He did. His, he was found not guilty due to uh, that's temporary right. and, he, insanity. and he did his time. So, one of the greatest talk, advanced you know? men in politics on the Republican side, Rick Ahern, was with the president that day. I got to work with Rick in upstate New York in a race for Doug Hoffman, uh, at least now the least Stefanik district. Special election 2009. Rick was up there. For, I'd never worked with him before. Heard great things about him. And he talks about in the – he was in the vehicle holding parts of the Secret Service men that had gotten shot. And they were supposed to go to a place, one of the local hospitals, and they were waved off because it was supposed to be for the president. And Rick pushed it through and basically told the Secret Service, no, we're going – like that was it. I mean this was a real thing for real people. And you don't hear that in that man's voice or his words. 
Uh, Andrew, it sounds like you're a little more understanding of uh, Hinckley's mental health condition. Listen, what he did was awful, awful. And murders are, or attempted murders are committed every day. And this was Ronald Reagan. But Hinckley was and very well might still be mentally ill. And if treatment is the alternative, I'm not saying he shouldn't have been punished, but even uh, the time that he served, and people can say, well, it was in Club Fed, it was in the mental part of the Federal Bureau of Prisons. Let me tell you, that's that's hellish, no matter where you are in the Federal Bureau of Prisons. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just saying that, you know, the man did his time. It's awful. Maybe we can learn something from what happened. But doing his time, I mean, there was no time because right, it no was, prison time. There's no prison. Because there was no right. sentencing time. Yeah. What, what I'm just looking at the, the broader context is: is this more evidence he shouldn't have been out on? If he if he doesn't show remorse or or things right. of that effect, be free of all these restrictions. If I ran into him on the street, am I am I in danger? Now I'm not the president, and I'm not, and there's other things. And mental health in this country has a problem. We all know yeah, that, and that, we I, all have to say that. I think he did ask for forgiveness over and over in that interview. Okay. But I think it's symptomatic of what's wrong with the culture. Uh, we have large numbers of people who are mentally ill, and we don't really know how to deal with them. Uh, and they commit awful actions at times. And we have to find some way of reconciling this. I felt pity for him in that interview. I didn't feel the anger. I knew that he, what he did was horrible. It was right. And I understand the, I understand, uh, you know, the outcome of of his crime but i'm saying is his liberty was significantly restricted and he didn't have the freedoms that we all enjoy so for a very very long substantial time i'm just saying but uh, i agree but, well, with dr sorrentino uh, it's, it's and, systemic and, of what's wrong in the country well, and jim brady never brady never had you know and then ultimately he, never the he same. died right but um which is absolutely tragic i'm not arguing with that right. point uh, yeah. just to no, uh, no, to piggyback on the mental health issue that dr sorrentino raised that goes hand in hand with an issue that you've done a lot of work on andrew that's the the, the country's drug problem right uh we saw the numbers come out last month that the nation's drug related overdose and death epidemic continues to worsen uh oh, from december 2020 to december 21 107 deaths due to drugs uh, a new record um why is everybody on drugs andrew well i'll tell you in a, in a my opinion in a minute, but I remember six years ago going on Fox and Friends and then coming right over here and being on your show, and the number was around 66,000, right. and now we're at 107,000. Yeah. So the New York Times, not my favorite paper, but they had an interesting article the other day on the levels of THC now and dab oils and marijuana cannabis products, and uh Dr. Sorrentino and I were talking about this before the show. Teenagers, we're talking about concentration levels in 95%. Teenagers are having psychotic episodes. There's evidence of um, neuropsychological damage that is going to last potentially years and years and years. And uh, the reason, in my view, is that people are escaping from things. People are not, especially young people, but I, I see it in my peer group. And I'm 53. So it's people that are not wanting to deal with reality. 
and not getting the help that they need when they need it. We still have a massive stigma with mental health, with addiction, substance use disorder. People have to ask for help. Why are people escaping? Anything you want to add there, Dr. Sorrentino? Uh, Yeah, I think the whole problem is that we accept the paradigm that the mental health professionals give us. And while I think they're working hard, they're trying to do what's right, but they've decided on a pharmacology that's going to solve all our problems. We don't have to uh, put people out of society. We can give them these drugs. We know that they don't always take their drugs. We know that the, we don't know what the long-term effects of these drugs. So I think we're, we're flying uh, without a net, and I think it's very, very dangerous. Uh, I think the Hinckley situation is a very, very sad situation because I think people are escaping things that they don't understand anymore. It's not only the recreational drugs that are happening. It's the disillusionment of the family. It's high crime. It's trying to find meaning in society. And I don't want to promote that John Hinckley represents all of that, but I think he is symptomatic of the mental health issues that we're facing today. The example I would use, and and you would know a lot more, but the one that comes current to me in New York is a newly elected official up in Harlem who served time in prison, Mm. and he shows incredible remorse. I actually tweeted against Brian Benjamin. When Brian Benjamin was up there for something going on there, I think he was swearing in after after, uh, Gibbs had won the special election. And it was political. It was a shot. You know, you, you try to be nice on stuff. I, I hit hard. Yeah, go I, for it. I got a pretty good reputation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Frank. I mean, people don't yeah, all that stuff. stuff. But good I stuff. was – what Gibbs had done up there and talked about time he served and a great man to then work with, with you and others about what should be done in prisons because when you go – when they go to prison, there's a punishment and it's a time. And when you come out, come out worse because of what transpires? No, it's supposed to be – rehabilitated even if it's not rehabilitated how about not making it worse like right. just whatever and then help from there for a period of time but he his contrition and his his emotion and fe- i mean you could feel it and, and, and you and i've talked uh, not times there's an arc of various things and just that little soundbite and you said he hinkley apologized but the arc still sounds like it's not completed mm-hmm. yeah. and 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 the thing about it too there's no restrictions on anything, movement or other. What about taking someone like that who has, if he still has mental problems of sorts, and not letting him do media interviews? Yeah, I mean, well, that he's would actually, be unheard of. He's actually going to be appearing on Alec Baldwin's show later today. <laughs> no, no, on Alec by Baldwin's the way, but why, why should he not be allowed to do media well, interviews? Because no, sitting in a room like this is pressure. Speaking with you in a private conversation with coffee and drinks or whatever isn't as bad. But once you do that and you become more of a celebrity of sorts – you see wackos and you hear things. I mean, Dominic was getting a month ago or so was getting threats, and we had. To, I mean, different things occur. I know, but we can't different... make the medical diagnosis. No, no. So long as he didn't have a meltdown in that room that day, no, but which we, he didn't. But, but, the, but what has happened now is everything's free and clear. There's no way to hold it back. So maybe it, you know, there's steps of rehab and there's things of people who are halfway houses and where he had to go. But to let him out in society and uh, the ju- change judge was more than one judge, and over time that mm-hmm. happens. But what about saying? You're free and clear, but no media interviews. I mean, it's not unheard of to have blackouts for different things for judges re- required. It's not a limit of free speech. So no media you- interviews, OB, because it 
could make him more dangerous? May, no, because it may trigger something. Because think about and make he, him more dangerous. We, yes, I mean that's that's the threat to him and society, which is what we're trying to get away from. So you do no media, and then the judge reevaluates six months later. Well, maybe and if we he's just let him go to Walmart because I know that raises my blood pressure. Well, when I have to well, go that there. may be. But you know what? Everyone's got well, the, the, every. every <laughs> Crime has different things slope, that they're not. Right? But the, the difference is, and this is why I took issue. They didn't say permanently. That's what I'm saying. It, like, go out and go live with your family. With no restrictions on where you can go. And then when you walk down the street, are people doing things and whatever? And when you go on air, and if you say something wrong, do people come at you more? And then it scares you. Like, you're putting yourself up on a, on. It creates an opportunity for failure. Let's let him take, keep taking steps forward and keep increasing it. If that's as you said for mental health and different things that, that we have to help people and get somewhere. But to get too fast in anything in life can be failure. And if you're not prepared to handle it, will that trigger hurt? My, my concern when he was performing in the Brooklyn venue uh, and that he was essentially going to get wealthy solely because of his status as someone that almost killed the president was that it could lead to like a Rupert Pupkin situation. These copycat crimes of people that are mentally ill thinking, oh, look. All I have to do is try to kill someone famous, and then 40, 50 years from now, not only will I not have to go to prison, but I could be a famous, wealthy musician. And my concern is that because there are a lot of mentally imbalanced people that are out there, to give someone like Hinckley a platform may not even be the worst thing for Hinckley. As Obi's saying, my concern is that it could be bad for the next Hinckley, whoever that is. I can see that. Um, We're going to continue in just a moment. Uh, Dr. Frank Sorrentino is here. Andrew McKenna is here. E. O'Brien Murray is here. 800-848-W. WABC. I know I keep saying I'll get to your calls. We will make a, 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 a the, give it the old college try when we come back. This is the other side of midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. in studio by Dr. Frank Sorrentino, Andrew McKenna, and E. O'Brien Murray. Before I let you gentlemen out of here, I want to get your take on a brewing local political controversy. <laughs> we'll see. You've uh, done a yeoman's job uh, t- this morning, Obi. But this is a brewing local political controversy and a legal controversy. And it has to do with two New York City mayors, Eric Adams and Rudy Giuliani, on Sunday Mayor Giuliani was uh, on Staten Island campaigning for his son, and he was in a grocery store. And the mayor said he was he was ta- he was slapped on the back, and the mayor described a, um, a an attack. That's the word that he used. The police came, they arrested the person, and um, the, the person is being charged. The video came out, and it didn't look to me like it was a slap. It looked like it was someone that touched his back. Now, the mayor's version has been supported by an eyewitness. Uh, I believe her name's Miss Ragusa, who completely corroborates the mayor's version of events. Mayor Eric Adams came out yesterday and said that uh, the police and the DA are investigating the wrong guy. They shouldn't be investigating the purported slapper. They should be investigating Mayor Giuliani. 
when you look at the video, the, the guy basically walked by and, and, and patted him on the back. I don't know if he said congratulations. I don't know what he said to him, but it was clear that he was not punched in the head. It was clear that it didn't feel like a bullet. It was clear that he wasn't about to fall to the ground. Falsely reporting a crime is a crime. Uh, the mayor on his radio show on this station said he didn't file a police report at all. So um, Mayor Adams is a little out of line on that one. And a lot of people heard uh, this fellow um, not say congratulations, but call him an, uh, you know, uh, you know, the F word and take issue with uh, the Roe versus Wade decision. Uh, where do you see this mayor on mayor battle coming down, Obi? It's challenging when you see to to a well, former leader and one leader in the city right now on this and where the city's going to go and where wh- why occupy the future of New York when we have so many other things going on at this point I think Eric, Mayor Adams was trying to de-escalate this and, you know and, and well he didn't Rudy, have to comment right well yeah but, but there's a com- but there's a comment but there's a way to go about this stuff and, and, and attacking one person over another it was this being, being escalated at some point by Rudy rightly or wrongly and the and mayor Adams said wait a second let's just get this let's mm-hmm. all you know he can't stand on a stage and say that necessarily and the environment where you speak and your audience is something but you know let's just bring this all down to what reason is there to prosecute to what reason is there to prosecute Rudy or to threaten like what does this do for anybody why take our resources and do it in, in that regard and everyone decides to be, deserves to be protected but who are you protecting I don't. I don't think Mayor Adams should have commented on it. It's it. it uh, Rudy Giuliani, Mayor Giuliani, is uh, assaulted or feels like he's been assaulted, and he brings it to light. It should be investigated whether or not. Uh, be, it's be, it's come to light, so a district attorney can send out cops, investigators, or whatever they want to do. But it just all seems so bizarre to me that so much attention's happened with this. What the employer do? Uh, I I haven't heard. I, as far as I understand, he's still employed there. That guy ain't working for me. Yeah, because well, <laughs> <laughs> rightly or wrongly, if a customer feels they were assaulted. Yeah, well, and at yeah. the very least, the customer was cursed at. Yeah, mm. Mayor, yeah. Mayor Adams, uh, I think, used this for political benefit. The Giuliani's reputation in the city has deteriorated significantly, and I think it was a cheap shot to go after him. And uh, I don't think it served the city well. I, I think he would have been better off just letting the district attorney of uh, Richmond County make the decision uh, and justify it based upon witnesses. Yeah, so the mayor could have said, Mayor Adams could have said, you know, I trust the DA's office exactly. to investigate and, you know, they do their thing. Instead, it looked like he went out of his way to yes, make, a, make a, a, a cheap shot. Yeah. Very quickly, before you guys get out of here, I want to get your comment on this as well. Um New York City looks like it's going to be getting casino gambling. Uh, curious, we, we've seen a lot of cities go through this. The voters or the politicians seem to approve this with the highest of hopes. And then a lot of times the realities of where that revenue actually goes seems to fall short of where the revenue is promised to go. Obi, I know you've been involved. I know nothing about casinos. <laughs> I think <laughs> I was told when I was hired by Steve Wynn, by this guy who worked for there. I wouldn't know how to spell casinos if you spotted me the C and I'm not asking you to spell it. I'm asking you what you think the future of New York City is going to look like with casinos and maybe even Times Square or Midtown. Oh, I I think at the end of the day, it's going to be terrific. It's going to be tourism. It's going to be jobs. It's going to be tax revenue. It goes to Jersey. It goes other places. When you do it and do it right, it's fantastic. And I mean, look at if you look at Vegas and what it was and how you create it. It has to be part of it. When I when I worked for Steve and we were at the Golden Nugget, and we were at different places. Knife and fork across the street was fantastic. 
And if you build a mousetrap, it's going to be terrific. And if I build a better one, it's going to be better. You better keep up. All ships rise if it's done right. If it's done wrong, it's pitiful. Andrew McKenna, what do you think? I agree with um, OB. I, I think if it's done right. There's nothing more to say. Yeah. I think <laughs> well, no, well, I, I think if it's done poorly, then it's well, tacky and cheesy uh, and crappy. But aside uh, from the architecture, Dr. Sorrentino only had about 40 seconds uh, left here. There's some people that say this is just a tax on the poor. This is a poor tax. Well, it is. Uh, I'm basically libertarian on these issues. People do what they want. But I think it says something about the morality of the city that they're dependent upon taxing uh, poor people to gamble, uh, create disincentives. Now, I'm not sure that this is the best forward this, way forward for the city. The study on casino gambling that was done in Atlantic City and across the state, across the country. I was working for Hilton at that point, Hilton, for Arthur Goldberg. And there was a guy asked uh, Dobson said said to this guy on the street, basically, "You bought a lottery ticket. You know what the chances of winning?" He goes, 50-50. This literally happened in front of reporters. If I buy it, I have a chance. If I don't, I have no chance. And they thought the guy was homeless with no teeth. Uh, gentlemen, I want to thank you for uh, your wisdom over the last hour. Let's do this again sometime. Uh, Andrew McKenna, Frank Sorrentino, O.B. Murray, very, very bright guys, very, very pleased to be able to benefit from your wisdom. Hey, we'll take your calls next hour, at least I will, 800-848-WABC. This is the other side of midnight. Your influence counts. Make sure you use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Well, we're having a crazy show today. No no telling what can happen. Uh, we'll have open phones. Anything that you want to comment on that we've covered thus far, you can call in and, uh, and comment on. That's 800-848-WABC. That's uh, 800-848-9222. You know, all this discussion of uh, Curtis Lewa, Woody Allen... Donald Trump, uh, it really led me to think of my friend Richard Bay and his most recent podcast. Now, Richard Bay is uh, he does a great podcast. It's things mostly from a progressive perspective, but I don't think there's a better advocate for progressivism than Richard Bay. I think he's just he's terrific. He's funny. He's articulate. He's intelligent. He's difficult to debate. I don't want to debate him. Um, and his most recent podcast deals with Al Sharpton. On, and Al Sharpton's time on the Richard Bay Show. Now, if you look at the clips that he plays of Al Sharpton on the Richard Bay Show and people are talking from 30 years ago, not only is Sharpton, not only does he look so much different, uh, he's dressed different, he's probably looks 150 pounds heavier, and that's not an exaggeration, wearing a big gold medallion, but he speaks differently. He speaks like a total like street con artist. He speaks um, he in the clips that Richard plays in this uh, edition of the podcast, and you could find it on YouTube to search 
Richard Bay talks. Um, he talks about the pending indictment from the attorney general at the time, Robert Abrams. And Richard begins the podcast, essentially, by saying, in words of substance, I'm paraphrasing, by saying that, in his view, the two people that have done the best job reinventing themselves have been Donald Trump and Al Sharpton. And I think there's some some truth to that. I think Curtis Sliwa, who began as the night manager of a McDonald's, running something called the Rock Brigade, uh, basically kids that picked up litter, and then was seen as a vigilante, very adversarial to the police. And then, as someone who, in we later learned, staged six crimes, including his own kidnapping, I think Curtis is a perfect example of someone that has reinvented himself as a media personality, as an animal rights activist, and as a as a politician. He ran credibly for mayor, uh, did better than uh, the previous two Republicans that ran for mayor. So I thought it might be interesting to get a list of folks that have successfully reinvented themselves. Now, we've done the subject before of people that have made a successful career transition. I'm not even necessarily talking about a career transition, but a reinvention. Like Richard Bay went from doing trash television to doing serious political talk. Uh, Jerry Springer went from somebody that was a political commentator to going the other way, to going to trash TV. The Rock, wrestling fans like Matt Blaze and I, Knew him as a pro wrestler who was a great pro wrestler, heavyweight champion of the world. Now he's someone that's known mostly for being a movie star. He's, I think, the best paid movie star in Hollywood. Jesse Ventura, again, to use another wrestling analogy, pro wrestler to governor to conspiracy theorist uh, and media personality. Arnold Schwarzenegger, a similar guy that's been able to reinvent himself multiple times. I'm curious if you can think of an example of someone that's been able to successfully reinvent themselves. Recently, uh, I had on this program Jim McGreevy and Anthony Weiner. Both of those guys, and I think McGreevy has managed this transition probably more successfully so far than Weiner, have sought to reinvent themselves as scandal-plagued politicians to doing something else. In the case of McGreevy, it's helping veterans, it's helping people with substance abuse, it's helping people that have come out of jail. In the case of Weiner, he's trying to reinvent himself as a media personality. I've asked uh, Obi Murray to stick around, um, you know, a bit as well because he's something of an expert when it comes to reinvention and crisis communications. Uh, Obi, if you were to think of somebody that's done a successful reinvention of themselves, anybody immediately come to mind? Yeah. Oftentimes, not reinvention. It is accepting something and moving forward on things. Larry Kudlow, I think, is ah, a fantastic. That's a great example. And you have talked about this. Yeah. Larry Kudlow uh, has done remarkable things. But one of the things he's, he is most proud of is his recovery mm-hmm. and what he has done to help other people. So it's, it's admitting your problem and fixing yourself, but then what you give back and own it and say, this is how I'm going to – I'm going to let people – it hurt me. It hurt my family. It hurt many things. I'm stepping up and helping others so they don't have the same problem. I think that's part of the thing. Jim McGreevy is a perfect example, too. I mean, everyone knew about it, right. that, he, Be, that he was gay. gay. Right. We all knew he was gay, and he never got attacked for it. I mean, the stories we knew, and I'm not playing Monday morning quarterback. I won't even go. I will never do it on air. But things I know, we all know what was going on at times. But the blackmail of somebody in his life became the issue for him, and he stepped up. He could have found other ways to do sure. it. He also didn't have to resign. 
Right. He did it because it was the right thing to do and owning it and, and uh, fixing is maybe not the right word, but owning it and making himself a better person to move on with his life. Mm-hmm. Um, some people haven't done that. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to mention names. It's for them to know and others are all fair to know. Oh, well, and you know what? I, it's interesting to me, um, you know, Rudy Giuliani's kind of trying to reinvent himself from being a politician to being a media commentator and sort of elder statesman within the within the GOP. You know, um, you're seeing um, when Andrew Cuomo was first uh, when he first left office, when he first resigned, Giuliani was on the air with me, Rudy, and said that he thought Andrew Cuomo would have. I think the phrase he used was some sort of a second act. And I think a lot of people are wondering, one, what that second act would be and what sort of the roadmap is to somebody like an Andrew Cuomo reinventing himself. He, he has to accept it. He, yeah. he has to ex- whatever he can define it as. It can't be denial because denial ends up being something that, that uh, really hinders you because you can't speak to it. Mm. And when you can speak openly about what your problems are and where you go at it, it is a much different yeah. conversation. Uh, and, and, and until he does that, I don't think there's a lot of organizations that will do it. And work with him for whatever it might be, where he can add value. Maybe a law firm if he can bring business in. But then who's going to leave? Right, right. I mean, you know, it's funny. Uh, the, the other thing that made me think of this conversation as a possible topic today was watching this Alec Baldwin Woody Allen interview, and Woody was telling Alec Baldwin that how it, now we all know Woody Allen. I mean, aside from the scandal. We all know Woody Allen primarily as a filmmaker, and Woody told Alec Baldwin that the only thing he ever really thought of himself as was a comedy writer. He wanted to be a writer and maybe a stand-up comic, and he said, but you try different things, you do different things in life, do different things in your career, and all of a sudden he's made 50 motion pictures. I think there are some other folks that, um, you know, one of the guys that I think reinvented himself repeatedly again and again successfully, well, sometimes more than others, was G. Gordon Liddy. Here was a guy... That was uh, a law enforcement officer, that was an attorney, that then uh, became a political operative, a political candidate, then w- became a convict, went to prison, and then became one of the most listened to radio talk show hosts in the country. I think there's a reason a lot of people look to media. Buddy Cianci. Uh, Buddy Cianci is a great My example. My first radio show. I was Love in college. Buddy Cianci. I had this high and tight. I was, in the army. I was not in the Army yet, in ROTC, <clears throat> but I go in there with short cropped hair and stuff. I walk in the trench coat, and Buddy says to me, and I was working for President Bush at the time, Vice President Bush, we have O.B. Murray coming on, and he looks like he's in the CIA. We'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, if you have examples of people that have reinvented themselves successfully, it doesn't always have to be a career transition, but I'd be curious. Like Donald Trump, that's a pretty incredible career transition. Real estate developer, media personality, president. Um, it can be a career transition, but it doesn't have to be. It could be just sort of a. George Stephanopoulos did that. Uh, you know, that was the other one that I was that I was my, going to put on great my mind list. Of life, that Frank. is a good one. I'm glad to learn from that. That is a good one. Here is a guy, political operative. Now you don't even know Tim, he was a political. Tim, Tim Russert was able to do that too. To That's another level, good one. But he yeah. was, it wasn't as visible in his day at that, and he also wasn't at the White House right. in a campaign. Yeah, but no, George Stephanopoulos is, is, hey guys, like lover hate him is a quality person on that TV. Uh, Michael Strahan, same network. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, it, you know, it is, I guess, expected a little bit more of athletes because the shelf life of a professional athlete Regis w- w- is so is so 
short. Yeah, Ga- Regis game, is a good game one. show talks. I mean, very different th- things you got there. That, that is a good one. 800-848-WABC. You're welcome to comment on any of the other issues that we've touched upon uh, over the course of the last three hours. Um, so you, you sky's the limit. 800-848-9222. Mike is in St. James. Hello, Mike. Hello, Frank. My radio is off. Uh, regarding it's a good the primary start. election, the four candidate Republican primary, the four candidates promised to fire the Manhattan DA for not enforcing the law. But by not enforcing the law, he is obeying the cashless bail law. So how can he be fired? Well, again, I think I'll give you my my answer and then what I think their answer would be, right? Um, one, I don't believe that whoever gets elected on the Republican side, it, it, Zeldin's the nominee, but I, I don't believe that Wilson, Astorino, or Giuliani, even though they all said they would do it, I don't believe any of the four of them would have fired Alvin Bragg for political reasons. Here's a guy that was just elected with 83% of the vote, largely running on a platform of doing exactly what he was doing. And I think for any Republican, especially a white male, uh, to as a governor, uh, to fire the first black elected DA in Manhattan is something that would lead to literal riots in the streets. And I don't think that would ever happen, number one. Number two, though, if I'm, if I'm them, I'm saying, well, I'm not firing Alvin Bragg for not not for the the uh, bail reform law I'm firing him for not prosecuting crimes that are crimes you know um, nobody was saying Andrew Giuliani or anybody else nobody was saying that they were going after Alvin Bragg because of bail reform they were saying that his office had circulated a memo in which they decided all right we're no longer prosecuting all these things these are crimes that are on the books and yet you have a prosecutor telling his ADAs we're not prosecuting these crimes. It had nothing to do with bail reform. Okay, Frank, I get it. Uh, one other thing you mentioned earlier, casino gambling. But what is the status of congestion pricing? It's. Um, uh, I'm going to bring in Obi on this one uh, because this was an issue that came up in the Democratic primary debates. And it, this is something that will largely be determined by the next governor. It is going to happen, but I think, I guess, not until 2023, right? Or is there, what's the time I think table? the answer is if she can get it quicker, she'll move it quicker. Mm-hmm. If she stays on as governor, if she wins the election, considering that. Because at the first debate, she said, oh, just today we had meetings with the federal government and we're going to have – it's going to take longer so they informed us. She then got it back around to it and said, you know what? We're now getting what they want and trying to move quicker for congestion pricing. But I will tell you this, right now, outside Manhattan, every candidate that can use it against their opponent oh, will. Oh, sure. Absolutely. So challenging state Senate races, state assembly well, races. people are running in Jersey on this issue. Well, we don't congr- care about that for well, your election. I, well, I'm just but, talking about the governor's race you know, right but, now for But the just as a political strategist point but, of view, the congressional candidates out there, they're trying to make it. They are, but they can't. They can say it and they can do it, but there's not much they can do. Right. In New York, they can control it. So if you're in, if you're in, if you're out in Nassau County and you're up in Albany, you can do it. But there will be mailers and so forth about this because it comes from their pockets into Manhattan. It doesn't benefit people in Nassau, Suffolk, Westchester. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Mike is in New Hyde Park. Hello, Mike. Leonardo da Vinci, as a Renaissance man, is the living embodiment of redefinition. Italy is at war with itself. His maps were the most sought after during the period, 15th century. Busted for sodomy when he was 24, got past it. Bastard son 
of a very successful Florentine merchant. In his later life, he's the Vitruvian man, by the way. That's him. When he was young, he was into boxing. He was a vegetarian, way ahead of his time. Constantly had to redefine himself. In his later years, which were sad, like in the portrait of Turin, he ended up, he works for the French kings. He was a gifted singer. He was a good caterer. He, I mean, this guy, I, I'm not going to like take up too much of your radio time, but Frank, as usual, you broach a very great eclectic topic. And I think Da Vinci is, and, and he's doing it on horseback, by the way, in the rain. Italy is at war with itself. Imagine Huntington at war with Queens. Mm. You know, he, uh, he, Mike, that's a good one. I, I didn't, I didn't know about, uh, I didn't know about this. That was, uh, that was, that's really wild. That's a lot of history I that I didn't pa- know I about. The paper that day. <laughs> that's good stuff, Mike. You know, and that just thinking about the struggles Da Vinci had, it, may, it reminds me of another world famous uh, historical figure, and that's Ulysses S. Grant. Ulysses S. Grant was, uh, you know, not somebody that was considered bound for success by any any means. When he graduated from, I think it was the equivalent of high school, but it might have even been West Point, his aspiration in life was to be an assistant math professor at the U.S. Military Academy, not even a full math professor. His only goal was to be an assistant math professor in the uh, U.S. Military Academy. Not only went on to win the Civil War, but become the most famous American in the world. He, a couple of years before the Civil War, considered a total uh, loser and uh, was working, I think, as a tanner. So um, I, I think Grant is a perfect example of somebody that did a fair well, amount of wait reinvention. The Eisenhower. Yeah. Oh, Ge- General, uh, president of a local university. President. And president, right. I, I guess the same could be said of uh, Woodrow Wilson, right? So, University president, uh, governor of a governor of a, a state, a historian, and then ultimately Eisenhower president. Eisenhower was a member of Knollwood Country Club up in Westchester, also a member of Army Navy Country Club in D.C. When he became president, he had to resign from Knollwood, and he signed this letter and says, due to previous business obligations, <laughs> I won't be I – mean, be- I think the letter up there. That's stuff, very but funny. It, but it's beautiful stuff. That There's, is very I funny. I mean, a lot of military transition out – well, enlisted after five years serving the military, transitioned out to do something. So these are generals we see, but they're everyday men and women listening here today that have done it, will do it. Their kids have done it, will do it. You know, we, there's, we, there's a lot of that out we, there. Once we did a segment solely on priests that accomplished a lot of different things, and one of those like folks, uh, well, John McLaughlin, right, was a was a Jesuit priest, went on to become best known. Bye bye. <laughs> right, as the commentator and the host of the McLaughlin Group. Steve is in New Jersey. Hello, Steve. Hey, good morning, gentlemen. I have a major, major transformation for you. This person was an Olympic gold medalist and is now a political commentator. Caitlyn Jenner. <laughs> you know, I, I know. You skip reality TV. I, I, stuff. I, I think, uh, you know, I know you're being maybe a little funny because which the transition she's best known for is changing her gender. But I think that's actually a perfect example of somebody that's been able to reinvent themselves because they they have changed genders and they've changed completely what they're known for. Gubernatorial candidate, media personality, real, you know, uh, reality TV star. I think there's a tremendous it, talent in reinvention. Doesn't that go back to something? We talked earlier in the show, though, accepting who you are, right, and and being able to to overcome whatever if it's addiction, it's a demon, yep. and yep. this is not a demon. This is a who who they felt they were, and they they okay. they, they they changed their life. They were married, the wife knew it, they felt it. I mean, we've all read about it and heard about it, but they accepted something and they worked 
with their family, their support, and so forth, to go where they wanted to go. By the way, the voice you're hearing is uh, E.O. Brian Murray. He's done a, a great deal, including w- done a lot of work as a crisis communications uh, strategist and expert. By the way, do you think somebody that is really scandal-plagued, somebody like a Bill Cosby, for instance, or an O.J. Simpson, somebody that's a total pariah, are they ever able to come back from the brink? You know, are they ever able to uh, – Bill Cosby I, is too old, I think, well, but – it's but. Uh, Come back and you have to define what that is. Well, so because, into be, some sort of because when you go to prison, you're not coming out for twenty years, and you're that old. There's no time yeah. of redemption on that. Other well, than Cosby's out. He's out of prison. But 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 when people do get punished right. for certain things and where they are and what their age are. Well, let's take Hinckley. Right, he's trying to reinvent himself as a I don't know musician, social media influencer, YouTube star. Can a guy like that, that's so toxic, ever make a transition like that? Hinckley reminds me of almost Bobbit. There was like the worst things in the world happened. I mean, mm-hmm. just like w- the wackos of whatever they can get money from. Like, think of the agents that are selling this. Mm-hmm. Think of the, like, they go to the concert and like, you've never played before live. You've only done it in prison and done it in private. Or, you know, like, like, that's a whole different thing, I think. It's kind of like, how do we cash out uh, in the old days of, of Playboy? Jessica, Jessica Hahn trying to go to play, you know, getting, getting pitched and then accepting things like that. Uh, there, there's cashing out, I think, is different than reinventing. At, at that point, yeah, no, but, that's that, that that's uh, certainly true. When you crash and burn, if I can collect on the on the crash, I don't burn as much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well said, Billy's on Long in Long Long Island City. Hello, Billy. Hey, Frank. Yeah, Charles Lindbergh, the first celebrity in this country, and still to this day, the biggest celebrity ever. People like us today, we can't even comprehend the magnitude of his celebrity. What it was like back then. But then he reinvented himself, he kind of, not always in a good way, but he was like a world ambassador, and they sent him to Germany aspiring this new chancellor that just got elected named Hitler. And he came back to the U.S. and said, this guy's going to go on the warpath. He's got those Messerschmitt airplanes, hangers and hangers of them everywhere. But at the same time, and this is true, but if, you, if you went to Nazi Germany in the early days, you could not help but be impressed. The streets were so clean, you could eat off of them. The landscape and the architecture, the, the vitality of the people's faces. All right, well, Buddy. Billy, let, let me, uh, unlike Carl Palladino, let me distance myself completely from any Nazi praise. We have Joseph in the Bronx holding. I'm sure he'll Thank you, say Frank. something that's supportive of the Nazis. John, you sh- Frank, you show me the button to turn my mic on and off. <laughs> I'm not touching the callers. <laughs> I make that very clear. I'm looking at Frank and some of this stuff. It's all you, Frank. Yeah, if people don't Thank get you. the Carl Palladino reference, he's running uh, for Congress up in upstate New York. And in a radio interview, see, it's always radio that gets you in trouble. A couple of months ago, he basically praised Adolf Hitler as the kind of uh, leader we need right now. Um, now, he did take back that. He said he should have said Winston Churchill, but it's just you never you never end in a good place was when an you're apology praising when he said Churchill. Anything. It, was, it was just I should have I, said. I, 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 mean, I don't know. I'm not going to try and restate whatever uh, whatever he was trying to say. But uh, it never ends in a good place whenever you start out saying something nice about uh, Hitler or the Nazis. 800-848-9222. Robert is in New Jersey. Uh, Robert, uh, do you have any praise for the Nazis? Uh, no, not at all. I'm, I'm, I have a police background. Not at all. Uh, I want to ask about the congestion pricing. What about the trucks delivering goods to Manhattan? We're not going to take subways like they promoting the congestion pricing. I think, it, Frank, it comes about when they come into the city. Yeah. If they come at different hours, yeah, the pricing they, goes right, down. They, that's what if, you're going to see. You're going to see the trucks come in before before rush hour. If it's pricing. No, but it's going to be 24 hours. 
Yeah, but the no, prices the, go up. In the, yeah, the, I mean, the, that's one of the things that a lot of people are saying is that that's going to lead to an uptick in prices for consumer goods because the trucks are and their employers are going to pass that price on to the consumer. And the truck already pays to enter Lingo Tunnel. You pay hundred ten dollars for the yeah. tractor trailer. No, no, no doubt, Robert. No, it's going to be a, a big issue for for a lot of people. We'll see. You know, like a lot of these things, the devil will be Frank, in the, the details. What's, personally, but average, whatever you have an answer. What's your toll? What's your, what's your easy pass pricing like on a family basis living on Staten Island? You know, it's uh, for me, uh, and again, I drive into Manhattan every day. Mm-hmm. So, and again, we'll see what the, the specifics of this plan is because under the Bloomberg edition of congestion pricing, I would have paid almost nothing new because the money that you paid um, on the crossings was deducted sure. but, from your but thing. Just your, but it's just about, your MTA. I, I want to say it's about $250 a month. Yeah. And uh, average family, average, yeah. and you're a family of two drivers. Your wife two drives, drives. Off and on, but right. drives off and on the yeah. island. So you, maybe it's a little more between the between the two of us. Maybe it's 300 And you also manage, oh, take one car, with make right. it, or I'll take public transportation, mm-hmm. just to keep it at 250 Yeah, oh, that's exactly right. Families out there are 300 I mean, that's a car payment. Oh, that is. You're telling me? It's, it's, it's uh, how many tanks of gas at this point? Yeah. And every day it goes down. You but don't have to tell but me. But imagine taking that. And then adding on to that, let's let's go to Broadway show. Let's go to Yankee. Well, Yankee oh, yeah. is north. No, 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 no. But absolutely. At a time when we're already struggling to get people back into Manhattan the, to begin with. I live at 56 in Broadway. It's, no one's – stay away. But the – I'm in it. If I get in my car and drive out and come – like my home is there. I have no choice but to come and go at yeah. times. How am I going to get there? But we all get charged. No, Everyone's going to be paying that price. Uh, and uh, it is a kind of kind of a, we'll do a whole show on congestion pricing in the future. But it is sort of a regressive tax too, because if John Katzmatidis and I are both driving a vehicle into Manhattan at the same time, the say it's a ten dollar congestion pricing fee, and that John and I are both paying. That hurts me a lot more if I'm paying it every day than it hurts John uh, because it is regressive. It's The less money you make, the bigger chunk of your income it's taking. 800-848-WABC. Walt is in Yonkers. Hello, Walt. Uh, yes, good morning, sir. Morning. Uh, I want to talk about uh, Michelangelo. Back in the day, Michelangelo was a tremendous sculptor. And then he became a Ninja Turtle. Talk about a transition. <laughs> no, uh, then I forgot the name of the Pope. Uh, it was based on this movie called The Agony and the Ecstasy. He yeah. asked them to uh, paint the uh, Sistine Chapel. Yeah, that was Pope Sixtus the Fourth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a tremendous job that he did. Oh, uh, no doubt. And, uh, I- I've been there. I was there uh, right before the uh, pandemic about three years ago. It's it's magnificent. It's a sight to behold. And um, uh, that's w- give me the name of that film again, because I actually am in pretty interested in that story. Yeah, it's Charlton Heston and the Agony and the Ecstasy. Uh, the Agony and the Ecstasy. I will put that on my list. Walt, thank you. 800-848-WABC. David's in the Bronx. He's been holding a while. Uh, David, what's on your mind? Yeah, I was about to throw my lunch against the wall. I was waiting so long. Uh, By the way, people don't get that. That's a reference to what President Trump purportedly did um, when he saw that uh, Bill Barr told the Associated Press that there was no 
um, that that, that uh, there was no election fraud that delivered Biden the presidency. So that's very clever. Did the big, big Mac stick or not? Yeah. Well, then, according to uh, Miss Hutchinson, she cleaned up the ketchup on the wall in order to help the maintenance staff. But go ahead, David. What's on your mind? Okay. Yeah, I was going to talk about that, but I actually have to go to something that your um, guest that's with you said um, in the last hour about John Hinckley. You're acting like John Hinckley was suddenly turned loose after 40 years of being in a mental hospital. He went through years of being in a halfway house, being on furlough when he went home to his parents' house in Maryland. So this guy was not just turned loose. He has been deemed to be recovered. When you act like someone is still, quote, crazy after going through that, you're diminishing the value of mental health treatment, which is not helpful to people who are undergoing. This is Obi. I'm happy to – I respect what you're saying 100 percent because just so I can finish – and again, with many people on air, it's very tough to make it clear – it, I, I know there was two judges, took a long time, 40 years, 100%. I accept that. But what I'm saying is whatever that last step was that gave things free and clear, that gave him a sense of freedom that the process says he deserves. I accept that. What do we do to protect him, him and others so we don't hit triggerable events? So to say once you're free and clear and you're no longer over whatever that supervision was, to say that there's no media for the for six months and then come back to the judge again? And peel that kind of societal exposure as a as somebody that's sought after, whether it be by legitimate news organizations or anything else that wants to go after him and try to get him to say something inappropriate, do something inappropriate. And what would that do to him and his freedom? It would put it at risk. And once at risk, what ramifications would it be? Okay. See, this is where I disagree. Okay. And and, and you know, the the thing is. You know, like I said, he served his time. If he had been convicted of, of attempted murder and sentenced for 40 years and then released and served another five years on parole, we wouldn't have this conversation because they say, well, he did his time, he served his parole, and he could do whatever he wants. Why are we trying to stigmatize mental illness as something else? He, like I said, his doctors re- reevaluated him many times. And deemed him to be cured. Now, listen, anyone who thinks they have a shot with Jodie Foster and and shoots the president is clearly severely mentally ill. But that was 40 years ago. I'm not a big fan of the guy. I wouldn't go see his show. But to say that he should be silenced now that he's a free citizen, I think, is just being irresponsible. I never said permanently. I said to protect himself as a threat and what would happen when it happens. Right now, there's no... That I'm aware of, Frank, for the judge to pull back any of this. So if there was one right. thing, he well, could yeah, pull he's back as free on, as as we are. We, can, can own a gun, to, but but to go, but to for the judge to pull back on it would almost take criminal charges. Right. That no. So, so therefore, Absolutely. why not then continue? It's forty years. What's another year or two? Yeah. And I don't mean lightly. I'm not doing this lightly. But to maintain his safety and his well-being, because that was the goal of his criminal defense. Let him go back yeah, in society. He- Go ahead. Well, isn't he still receiving mental health treatment, though? I'm well, sure he has to check. I mean, what we Dr. don't know. What, what Dr. Sorrentino oh. said is that uh, he believes that he's still on two different medications. But in terms of legal restrictions, so I, I'm sure he is still receiving some sort of tra- treatment. But as, as far as legal restrictions, as of two months ago, there are zero legal restrictions. No restrictions on his movements. No restrictions on what he can do professionally. No restrictions on anything.
Frank, which he earned by good behavior. But, but Frank, that's I, the point. That's why they. Well, he earned it. He earned. Furloughs. He earned it by yeah. a mental, a, you know, a mental health uh, physician and a psychiatrist saying that he's now perfectly sane. But but he also earned it by proving. Mm-hmm. So if with with say no media and go out and go forth, then you get after six months. You know what? You can do one a month. And then be able to pull whatever yeah, it might I be. Hear to, you. I, I've said, and I, I uh, disconnected uh, David. I didn't mean to. Um, I didn't mean to do that, Frank, David. Frank, but. Just also in this, I had an uncle of mine. I said this off air. I think it was, but that was in Vietnam. Came back schizophrenic. I've been around it. I've seen it. We've had friends and other people in our lives that are around it. So I don't. I don't say this lightly. I say this in a protective fashion for uh, the person. Understood. But understood. I I, that may not come through with four no, people. Got it. Uh, no, no, no. Totally understand that. I've said that. Um, I think if you can go from shooting shooting the president to try to impress Jodie Foster to being perfectly well and healthy and well enough to function in society at large within only 40 years, which is not that much time. I've said that I think whoever the doctor or doctors that treated uh, John Hinckley, those have got to be the greatest psychiatrists of all time. Because those are the people that should be, they shouldn't even have Freudian schools of psychiatry. They should have whoever that, doctor is being the 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 paragon of what psychiatric health is in this country because that's a pretty miraculous recovery from what i can from what i could tell 800-848-WABC james is in rockaway hello james hey what's up frank oh all's good james all's good in the hood okay uh how about the uh, gentleman from the my pillow mike lindell that's a good um, one. It went from uh, crack addicts to um, a, yeah. probably a billionaire, uh, you know, CEO of the My Pillow company, and these days sort of reinventing he himself as a, as, as a political, uh, a sort of a political pundit. Well, the political pundit, I think, is a side for him at this. But but to your, you know, earlier we said overcoming, admitting, arc, and so forth. He doesn't yes. doesn't shy away from discussing it, which I think is part of that recovery process. Absolutely, no matter no matter the politics, that kind of discussion is fantastic. Yep, yep. The guy was living out of his car. No, and, I know. Uh, I, I was talking to him about it. yesterday. Was James, his James Kramer did that? He lived out of his car? Yeah. No, no, absolutely. Thank you, James. Uh, 800-848-WABC. The uh, Fugazi Tom is in the Bronx. Hello, Tom. <laughs> hey, man. What's going on? Hey, look. Um, Hinkley, I don't think he should ever get out. Why? Because this guy wanted to murder somebody to make a big splash, get his name on TV. He's suicidal. He, I don't think he figured he would survive if his plan was to get uh, uh, Reagan. But he decided he's going to go after a president. So he's suicidal yeah, right well, there. He, again, don't, he don't think he's going to come back for that. Now, for him to be ever looked at as sane, for somebody to do that, he never, he's never sane. Well, he should never get Again, I, that's kind of what I think, but his doctor's... They believe otherwise. I'm in no position. I've never spoken to the guy, never evaluated him. I certainly can't say. Um, you know, you know. Don Imus once asked me if I was Hinkley. <laughs> I kid you not. I called his radio show, Frank. It's on tape. It goes there. Bernie, Bernie will tell you this. If you talked to him this morning, I called up Imus one day. I lived That's across the street funny. from the Dakota. And I said, pick me up on your way to Yankee Stadium. And he said, what? I said, yeah, you know, come on, let's write up the show and you know, go to Yankee Stadium together. You live down the street. We're neighbors. Neighborly thing to do. Pick me up. Take me to your show. That's very and he goes, funny. You'll be outside Dakota. You have the you have you have, you have the uh, catcher in the ride. <laughs> I, 
thought you were still in there, Hinkley. That's very funny. Hey, uh, we're going to give one of he didn't you pick me up. an opportunity to win a thousand dollars. Perhaps it could be the first step in your reinvention if you can answer ten trivia questions in. In 60 seconds, and you're the seventh caller to 1-800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Be the seventh caller right now, and then we'll give you an opportunity to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds as we play the $1,000 Minute straight ahead. WABC. Well, now, everybody's going to have religion and glory. Everybody's going to be singing that story. Everybody's going to have a wonderful time up there. Oh, glory, hallelujah, brother. There's a reckoning and a coming in the morning. Better get ready, because I'm giving you the warning. Everybody's going to have a wonderful time up there. Now listen, everybody, because I'm talking to you. The Lord is the only one to carry you through. You better get ready, because I'm telling you why. The Lord is a coming from his throne on high. Going down the valley, going one by one. We're going to be rewarded for the things we've done. How are you going to feel? This is the great Pat Boone, who, by the way, endorsed Bob Turner when Bob Turner ran for uh, Congress back in 2011. I am sitting next to the uh, guy that was the architect of Bob Turner's victory in uh, in that campaign, uh, O.B. Murray. There, there are people who still tell Bob Turner they have saved the robocall from that day. Oh, I'm sure. From, I'm from, sure. From, from from President Trump, who did it, also, also from... Uh, from what we just heard there. Yeah, sir. no, uh, I am sure. All right, uh, time for some lucky person to have an opportunity to win some money. It is time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank. Thank you, Chris Libertini. Let's meet today's contestant, Fred in Yonkers. Hello, Fred. Hey, good morning, Frank. How are you? Fred, now we're used to hearing you in the 15 seconds of fame. You're uh, you're kind of a jokester. I think that's a fair characterization of uh, of you. How, how are your trivia skills? Uh, they're okay, as long as you don't ask me about your cat. We're about okay. to find out, Frank. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Hey, uh, Fred, uh, a lot of folks are always uh, wondering why you're constantly bringing up the flory dories and then a lot of folks have actually been wondering why you haven't been mentioning the flory dories of late what's uh what's the story with the flory dories i love the little rascals when i was a kid but you can't overplay something you know what i mean frank i do indeed all right speaking of overplaying uh we're going to play the thousand dollar minute you know the rules right fred i sure do all right here we go how many letters are in the word dog Great. What is an ingredient in French toast? Eggs. WABC host Dina Martin is the daughter of which member of the Rat Pack? That would be uh, Dean Martin. On what TV show did Martin Sheen play the president? West Wing. Who won the Republican primary for governor of New York State yesterday? Oh, Zellman. We'll give you that. What's the last book in the New Testament? 
last book in the New Testament is Job. No, I'm sorry. It, revelations. Revelations. End Ooh, of the world. That, I thought I, I had that too. Darn it. All right, Frank. All right. Always a pleasure, my friend. Go, go visit a hotel. See if they'll let you borrow a Gideon Bible. Fred, I'm going to uh, put you on hold, and um, and Ryan is going to take your information. We're going to take you a consolation. We're going to give you a consolation prize. It may be a shirt like the schnazzy one that uh, Obi Murray is wearing. By the way, if anybody wants to order this shirt, you can go to wabcradiostore.com. Now, did you get that shirt by playing this uh, this right. trivia I, contest? I, I paid for this baby, and I didn't even get a discount on it when I paid. I paid full boat for the hat, the shirt. And you owe me. I do I'm owe you one. You I, did win my one. My buddy Pachi, who actually heard I was coming on tonight. Pachi, if you're awake, hey, bud. But he texted me, you want on air? Oh, my, what time? All that kind of stuff. He called me one day or texted you want a shirt last night? Frank's talking about you. I said, I did. I, I fell asleep that night. I, uh, I, I never do got owe a you a shirt. I never do owe you a shirt. It. But by the way, if people want to avoid Obi's problem here, you can go to the the WABCRadioStore.com. That's WABCRadioStore.com. And if you use the discount code FRANK15, you will save 15% off the cost of your item. So there's no need for anybody to pay full boat. You never told me that night when I ordered, Frank. I didn't know you ordered. I I would have told you. I didn't know you were ordering. Uh, 800-848-WABC if you want to comment on anything we have uh, covered this morning. We've covered a lot of ground. I don't know that there are a lot of other shows that can go from uh, the primaries to uh, congestion pricing to John Hinckley to Woody Allen and Alec Baldwin to successful stories of reinvention, but that's what makes this radio show so unique. If you want to give away my shirt to one of your calls for a reason... I, and for something encouraging, let's have some fun. Or save for next time I come on if you ever me back. But let's figure. Don't ship. Don't pay the shipping. Don't, save your money on that. We're, we're not gonna. Are. We're not gonna take the shirt off your back. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Chris is in Beth Page. Hello, Chris. Hey Frank, um, not sure if anyone mentioned it, but great comebacks is Bernie and Sid. Both those guys. Yeah, uh, you, know, you know. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was gonna say we all know about Sid's problems. Uh, I used to listen to him on WFAN and. He was great. And then uh, all of a sudden, you know, he had his problems and with addiction and went away, went down to Florida, and then came back, you know, through IMIS. And, uh, you know, he's partners with Bernie, who, by the way, was fired. Not that Bernie was fired in disgrace, but he was part of that whole IMIS thing. And there were points where he was saying, no way in the world Bernie's ever going to get a job again. And here they are, the two of them, with the top-rated show. Uh, if not in the country. I Chris, think it's tremendous Chris, from that story. Did, did you hear Sid last week at all? It was last week, right, Frank? On a, Friday, about his wedding anniversary. Did you hear him talk about that? Sure. It was magnificent. I actually told Frank and I talked that afternoon yep. about coming on. And I, there was a man who stepped up, and that was that was an amazing story about his wife going to see him in first day rehab. No, no, no. Fantastic. Absolutely. Uh, no, I certainly agree with all your comments, Chris. I think, though— now, I wasn't so much talking about comeback stories as stories of reinvention, but I think Sid especially fits that bill as well because Sid was somebody that was best known for being a sports talk show host, and then he was able to make that transition to being a mainstream news talk host, and now he's in the midst of a, a pretty successful transition as an actor. You know, he's getting all these acting roles in spite of, you know, never really having been an actor. So I think it's a pretty S- good Sid's example. Sid's going to prove something I haven't been able to prove. What's that? I'm often told, I've got that face for radio, 
And over these past couple of hours, I think we found out I got the voice for print, buddy. Sid is going to be on TV on that big screen, and I, I'm like, I mean, that's we will He's see. Going the other way compared to me. We will see what happens. That is for sure. 800-848-WABC. John Vito is on Staten Island. He's been patiently holding. Hello, John Vito. How you doing, Frank? Pleasure to talk to you. Likewise. Hope everything is okay with Thank the kid, you. the wife. You're coming along. You're growing all into society. Uh, what, 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 when we were talking about the subject, it uh, came to me, and I, I, I had to call. We uh, were talking about the first president we, we had. It was an amazing person. Yes, John like Hanson. Someone to, to idolize, really, considering the example that he set. Compared to today, the guy was made out of gold compared to the crap that we got running the country now. And then we had, uh, what, what about John Katsmatis? I met, met many times because of you. I came to see you. I came to see Joe. Any place that I come and meet you guys. I always, uh, you know, always admire uh, John Katsmatis coming from, from that end of the of the old country, the old world that used to be the Mediterranean, where I'm part of it anyway. So in a way, it really it sets, sets a, a standard that not too many people uh, achieved and it's very very great. Well, I met him at the inauguration of the Sinatra statue in Hoboken, and I met uh, Rita, the bellissima Rita, and uh, so I mean, bellissima have, indeed, yeah. uh, John Vito. Thank but, you very much. Yes, if you think about it, George Washington, went from you know this uh, this guy a surveyor chopping down cherry trees all over the place to being a pretty successful general to uh, being president. You kid us a lie. <laughs> it's not what he told his father, Joe Piscopo. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, and, uh, you know, Joe is somebody that um, he's been able to do that reinvention several times, you know, a comic to bodybuilder to singer to now a very successful radio talk show host and uh, a spokesman, you know, for a lot of products like uh, Relief Factor, a number of and uh, MyPillow, a number of other products as well. That's a good one. I like Imagine that going one. from one night a week. The five mornings a week. That's a big change. For four plus, hours plus a day. Else. Right, I mean, for four hours a day. And live performances. Actually, no, Joe is on six days a week because he does the Sundays with Sinatra show on our station, and then he does a news talk show on another station. So Joe is, uh, you're right. The, the And, again, I, I know Joe doesn't like to give out his age, but Joe, le- uh, two weeks ago, just turned uh, 70 or 71. His level of energy... <laughs> His level of energy is uh, is yeah. just astounding. Yeah. When I went to the studio in the morning a couple of years ago, it was, it was just like oh. s- 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock in the morning. You think it was 3 o'clock in the afternoon? Yeah, no uh, no doubt about it. Mike is in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Hello, Mike. How you doing there? Well, uh, Frank. Frank, yeah. Yes. I'm sorry, Frank. Just woke up. Uh, Lucky I just you. was thinking of all these people come back. So a real hero was Aaron Judge's natural mother. She, you know, she might have made a mistake in her life, but she corrected it. And God was with that kid. And, you know, if they want to talk about pro-choice and pro-life, a choice, you don't have a, a, you don't have the right to choose. You have the gift to choose. And she took her gift and she chose it wisely. Yeah, so I think, Mike, I think you were the person that first brought this to my attention. I didn't know this. So Aaron Judge was adopted, I guess. Yeah, oh, Ray Liotta also. That's yeah, no, I that I did know. That's right. We spoke when Ray Liotta uh, passed away. That's that's a great uh, a great one. Tim McGraw is magnificent, look, too. Wasn't mm. adopted. Look at but... guy. I mean, look at this guy, Judd. I mean, he, he's not just a great baseball star. He's a great person. And, uh, you know, God's with him. And, and you can, you know, you can't just destroy what God creates. Yeah, hey, uh, Mike. 
Great, great call, great observation. Thank you. You heard Tim McGraw talk about it with his father. I mean, it's magnificent. Yeah, Tug McGraw. Yeah, and uh, he was someone he didn't know. He didn't know him. He didn't, but not wasn't aware of it. Right, right. Uh, you know, Vince McMahon. The, now he's in some trouble because of this sex scandal that's in the news. But Vince McMahon is also somebody that didn't know his father growing up. Not until he was about twelve or thirteen. And then became obsessed with wrestling and uh, ultimately followed his father into what he didn't know as a child was the family business. Kevin's in New Jersey. Hello, Kevin. Hey, good morning. Hey, I hate to think I'd ever praise him, but Jimmy Carter, I think, really reinvented himself towards the end there. Yeah, well, meaning as a philanthropist and with what, yeah, what he's do absolutely. with uh, Habitat, Habitat for Humanity. That's a good one. You know, I was trying to think – thank you, Kevin. I was trying to think of some ex-presidents – that went about a reinvention because when you've been the president, it's such a larger than life job. It's tough to transition into something else. A couple of people that I think did, namely come back from uh, leaving office in ill repute to really being something meaningful. There were three that sort of came to mind for me. One um, was Richard Nixon who was a very respected statesman, but I think people still sort of viewed him always as a president first. Another was Herbert Hoover. Herbert Hoover left office. People were blaming him for the Great Depression. The guy was uh, played a tremendous role in feeding people across Europe in the aftermath of World War II, and then at Harry Truman's request, really redesigned the whole organizational chart of the presidency in a manner that we still use today. And the other one um, in, on the presidential stage was John Quincy Adams, uh, re reinvented himself not only as a member of Congress, but then with his incredible stewardship of the Amistad case, which if you watch that film, Amistad, that's one of my favorite Spielberg movies and one of my favorite Anthony Hopkins movies, really just an incredible transition from a guy that was considered sort of, um, I don't want to say disgraced, but a lackluster one-term president. There's, there's ex-wives. There's no ex-presidents. Former. Is the way Former. I like that's I just, no, no, that's, that's I just say like, you know, but Jimmy Carter was last week, he was on a plane greeting people. He, he's got more I mean, energy than we do. I mean, that's just, you know, that's gracious. It, it certainly is. It certainly is. Hey, um... We'll do 15 seconds of fame in a moment. If you want to be heard for 15 seconds, now's the time. 800-848-WABC. Frank Morano here. Very, very pleased to have been joined for the last three hours and 50 minutes by O.B. Murray. Uh, you're a warrior. It's only, it's, only you, been, it's only been that long? It feels like 10 minutes. I got my 15 seconds. You, you, worked, uh, you worked a full day today and had normal hours and then are soldiered on for four hours with me. I'm impressed. I, I can go two days sometimes. I, hey, uh, very impressive. We'll find out. 800. <laughs> Don't drive. 84. Take public transportation. Nine two two two. That's for sure. A walk. Uh, Fifteen seconds of fame. Straight ahead. WABC. Frank Marano.
So I've been corrected. I just received an email here. And if you want to email me, um, frank.moreno at wabcradio.com. This is an email from someone named Jim. So apparently I said that the last book in the Bible is Revelations. I'm sorry for being imprecise. The correct response, I guess, was Revelation. Revelation, not Revelations. There we go. I'm on now. Sorry, Frank. I was sitting back listening to you. It was terrific. Well, oh, was that from John Cahill? No. My religion teacher from <laughs> sophomore year at Stepanak? Uh This is, uh, so my apologies. I, I will leave off the last S for savings, I suppose. 800, saving souls, that is. 800-848-9222. It is time for... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. John is on Staten Island. Joe Mignotti, Jen Cadero, happy birthday, guys. We all share the same birthday. Have a great day. Mike in New Jersey. Good morning, Frank. Frank, your current policy on Nazi distancing is greatly appreciated. Ralph in New Jersey. Okay, I do have an Ask Frankie uh, thing here. Does the disclaimer policy of your uh, station cover political ads? I, I have no idea, honestly. Uh, Marianne is in Indiana. A great transition uh, was Betty Ford. Oh, that is a good one. 800-848-9222. Neil on Staten Island. And Myra Flores is swearing in. Pelosi elbowed her daughter away, her little girl. If I was Flores, I would have ripped Pelosi's face off. Roger in Massachusetts. Finally, somebody has reminded all of us of Biden bragging about shaking down Ukrainian president for which Trump was so scantily impeached for um, by hearsay. And here, there he is bragging about it. Ray in New Jersey. Hey, hey, Adams, you don't deserve mayor in front of your name. Get your facts right. Do your job. Chris in Hempstead. Sizzle moron, sizzle moron, sizzle moron. Eddie in Nassau. Donald J. Trump, all promises made during the campaign, all promises kept. Joe Biden, 50 years of male bovine excrement. Leo on the Upper West Side. Hi, Frank. This version of the song sounds like uh, early T-Rex. <laughs> uh, Bablani in Brooklyn. You know, uh, uh, you know, gubernatorial, democratic, liberal, uh, Kathy Hochul, should be is offering the world to the women. She should be uh, giving whiskey and crackers to the U.S. Supreme Court. Joseph in Park Chester. Yeah, regarding uh, the increase in substance abuse, it's because a lot of Americans, they don't see a cohesive culture that they can identify with. Now, I recommend Dr. Kevin McDonald, the culture of critique. He goes into the loss of uh, cultural identity. And finally, Mike in Hudson. Job was the wrong answer, but so was Revelation. The last book of the Bible is Revelation. No S. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. I'm sure that extra S would have really thrown. Don't you think I would have accepted Revelation? If he said Revelation, I would have accepted it. We accepted. He he called Lee Zeldin Zelman, which I I think was one of the producers for uh, Regis and Kathy Lee. I know that was Gelman. All right. uh, We'll give you the last 30 seconds, Mr. Obi Murray. What do you have to say for yourself? It's been a great – your staff here, by the way. Is this like noon? Are you, are you getting lunch? You, you know what? 
Frank, you should get these guys lunch from Smith and Walensky across the street. We, we, I'm on a budget here. We're oh, on, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm yeah. on a budget. We, but these the guys do okay. here is amazing. It is. These guys have a lot of energy. Anybody you ask to be on this show to come to the should. I, mean, I agree it just, with you. It feeds itself. It's I agree fantastic. With you. Uh, you see the city come alive here. It's true. The whole thing. I mean, it's terrific. Wait until you see the sun me. come up in about a half hour. Seriously, thanks for being a warrior these last four hours. It's been a real treat Love to have it. you. Anytime you feel like uh, you where's have the, insomnia, come on Where's in. the key? <laughs> um, Obi Murray, how do people get in touch with you if they want to hear your wit and wisdom? I, I wonder why they're wasting their time on it, but I, I appreciate. No, you can just. I'm on Twitter. O'Brien Murray on Twitter. Oh, yeah, O'Brien Murray. It's all the, the WABC Early News with Deb Valentine is next uh, on the Bernie and Sid Show from six to ten. You'll get to hear Peter King and uh, Joe Pinion and Pat McEnroe live from Wimbledon. That'll be exciting. I'll be back at one a.m. tomorrow. Frank Moreno. Good day. Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024.